Hello, and welcome to episode 151 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I am your host, Derek Kamesbergen. I'm Embryonics on Twitter. That's at E-M-B-R-Y-O-N-X. And today we have some super duper special guests. But uh, first of all, we've got our returning panelist and one of my favorite people in the world, Caitlin Ardros. Hey, guys. Lee and Kazarel everywhere. I'm not going to say on the boards. Oh, wait, I just said it. So <gasps> You said it. Yes. You broke the ultimate taboo. To my boards? <laughs> No human transmutation. Just oh, like yeah. Remember, no, no. remember, kids, don't transmute your mom. It doesn't work. It doesn't I, work. I, I do no, not. No, no. I have you seen the Nike ads? ads? It's Full Metal Alchemist, and be quiet. We haven't spoken to you yet, Tiffany. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, there's the, the Nike ad that's like, just, just go for it, even if it means <laughs> sacrificing everything. And it's like, just do it. <laughs> the dog. Damn the consequences. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Well, he's already ruined the surprise, everybody, but he's back. Your previous host of Random Encounter, it's Robert Steinman. Oh, boy. Uh, man, this feels weird. I was like, oh, yeah, I need to start the podcast. I thought about, like, doing my whole thing at the beginning. I was like, nope, shut up. It's Derek's show now. Shut up. No, Han, 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 Dark Souls, Dark Souls, Diablo 3. <laughs> wow, I'm so glad you're here. It's been a great episode. I'm going to hang up the call now. It's basically like I never left. I, I think Stephen did a very good job of, uh, of bringing everybody back. Spoilers. <laughs> Speaking of spoilers, it's not just Rob who's back, everybody. We've also got one of the OGs of Random Encounter, Stephen Meyerink. That's me. Uh, I guess I'm technically tailless on the boards, but I'm not really on the boards much anymore. But neither are any of you, so that's okay. Yeah, uh, do the boards still exist? Uh, they exist, but we don't really use them. We, you okay. know, For uh, inter-staff communication, we use Slack. And then, of course, for social media, most of us, except Rob, have Twitters. Which, by the way, that's what we give out on the show now. So... Uh, Rob, you don't have one. Steven, where are you on Twitter if you want to share that? I am at SJM Taylus, T-A-E-L-U-S. And you can see me continue to chat about the exact same things I chatted about several years ago. No. Only now I do it more and slightly older. And blah, blah, also, blah, 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 blah. Divinity played on the hardest mode. Blah, 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 no, blah. No, it's more like if, if we're going to be rude and say blah, blah, it's going to be blah, 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 Isaac and Smash, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no. Right now, it's just, it's all about the Isaac hype. I'm, I just I'm thought everybody it. was really excited for the binding of Isaac to be in Smash. I was really confused when everybody <laughs> was getting right, so look, worked up look, over I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I wouldn't find it cool if that little character from Binding of Isaac was in Smash. I'd rather have real Isaac, but like... You know, Binding of Isaac is pretty, the, pretty big. Binding of Isaac, Isaac is in um, Blade Strangers, the new yeah. 2D fighter from Nicholas. That game is weird. I don't really like it. <laughs> it looks really turbo weird. weird. Yeah. I just think it's like, it's it feels kind of bland to me. And I guess some people are saying that it's fairly technical, but I didn't feel that when I was playing it. I don't know. It also has a really small roster. It's got like nine characters or something. And, and then they the, just... When they, sorry, Rob. Oh, I was going to say, and then at PAX, they actually announced that they're doing another expansion to the Binding of Isaac. And at this point, I'm like, okay, like, seriously? <laughs> yeah, I thought that that, that trademark announcement or whatever, uh, the, the trademark that was discovered was going to be for the Binding of Isaac. Isn't there a tabletop game coming out or something like that? Uh, a card game, I want to say? A CCG, I believe. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that game has been ludicrously lucrative for oh, God, Edmund yeah. McMillan, so... It it made all the money. I did not like his uh his other game. What was it? Uh, the end is nigh. I didn't like that. The unbinding of Isaac. Yeah, the unbinding of Isaac was not really. <laughs> he's been Isn't working on that. He's been working on that Bumbo game for like the past four Bumbo. years. <laughs> so whenever that comes out, uh, yeah, it's like a turn based game. I don't know. I I, I was like, was like, I thought he was working on Mugenics. That got shelled for Bumbo, I think. And oh, then so many words. 
I know. And then I bought the the Switch version of Binding of Isaac, loved it. And then that sent me down like, oh, I'm going to play a whole bunch of roguelikes. And I played oh, uh, so Enter, the Gun- Enter the Gungeon, and I hated it. I just hated Enter the Gungeon. I'm, uh, I haven't tried that one yet. You know what else you would hate that we uh, warned you against already? That you, I don't know if you ended up getting it, but Chasm? You guys, <laughs> yeah. you guys all warned me against it, and I was like, okay, I'm going to listen to my friends. They know me very well. I saw a really good analysis of Chasm the other day. A friend linked me to this video. It's like a 20 minute long, uh, basically just like a dissection of where Chasm kind of went wrong. I think I watched that same video. Yeah. Was it the one that talked about the red tower in Super Metroid? Yep. Yep. It's really good. It basically just explains how like for a Metroidvania style game to be successful in terms of you progressing through unlocking new traversal powers, et cetera, and then, like, you utilizing those to go back to old areas or whatever, there have to be environmental cues, and, like, things have to be set up in such a way that you are uh, spurred to remember where things are located, or, like... Right. Uh, yeah, so, like, because what Chasm does, uh, the procedurally generated Metroidvania-style game, is when it, when you start a game of Chasm, this is, like, a 2D side-scroller, uh, it, it generates what's called like a seed and the seed is your world, how it's going to be laid out. It's not a roguelike because once your game has started, it's it's like a set map. But Chasm has, uh, like they have all of these handcrafted rooms that are stitched together randomly slash procedurally and they don't fit together in compelling ways, I feel. So no. like- I mean, even the handcrafted rooms themselves don't feel very good to explore in. Like it feels very fiddly. Yeah, they're just they're either just hallways with a bunch of enemies in them or like really obnoxious jumping puzzles. Mm-hmm. Um, I have I have one question. Is Chasm Hollow Knight? No. Then not, I'm not, not even close. And I'm not well, interested. Well, you know, I was thinking about that too, like the having landmarks and stuff. Because like obviously I, I would I would talk about Hollow Knight until I can't talk anymore. Hollow Knight's amazing, it's best Metroidvania. Um but like I, I've been replaying Symphony of the Night because after they added the Belmonts to Smash, I yeah. suddenly just needed to play more <laughs> Castlevanias. So I've been like working on getting through some of the old ones. And uh, like Symphony of the Night's the one that's been the longest since I've played. And like when you think about having landmarks in places that make sense, that game really does exemplify that. Because like I, 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 you get to the library, right? And I don't know how well you remember Symphony of the Night, but like you get to the library and near where the shopkeeper guy is, there's that long staircase downward and there are two jumps. Right. You can't make it to, but you see them and they're like just in reach. And I I feel like if you saw them and they were like way off of the camera or like, you know, if they weren't as prominent, you wouldn't remember it. But like playing that game, moving forward, all I think of is, hey, can I get over that one jump on the staircase now? Because you can get so close without it. And I feel like that's the kind of thing that Chasm lacks, where it's like, if you can't do it, you like physically cannot do it. There's like a, a, a magic wall that's a different color that you just can't do anything with. It's not something that feels like you've surmounted an obstacle. It just feels like you got the next ability and now you can, you know, d- you know, go through the wall or whatever. Um, I, I, th- I think Dead Cells kind of suffers from that a little bit too. Like there's four or five movement upgrades in Dead Cells that open up new biomes that you can get to. And I really liked that aspect of the game, but then it never really does anything with it. It's like, okay, now I just have this key to unlock this one way to this biome over and over again. And I, I, kn- I know I'm going incredibly out of order here, Derek, and I'm really sorry about that, but like... I feel like Dead Cells was one of those games that I hit like this super high with for the first 10 hours. And then when I beat it, I kind of started to see all the moving pieces and I started to get 
like the difficulty of that game gets really out of whack on higher difficulties. Some of the weapons are just not fun to use. It's actually a game I started to sour on, so I stopped playing it. I was like, I really liked this game, and now I'm not. And I, I need to just put it down. And it's not a game like Isaac that I can play over and over again. It's a game that like I had an experience with it. I got to the credits. And if I had just ended there, I would give it a very good score. And now I kind of don't like it as much anymore. I mean, see, I, I do I do agree that the traversal, like the exploration in Dead Cells is not as like good as like a dedicated like level designed Metroidvania. But I feel like Dead Cells is much more focused on its combat yes, in that way. Yes. Like it's more, it is more, and forgive, forgive me, Derek. It is more Dark Souls than it is like Symphony of the Night. <laughs> he did it first. He did it first. Because, I, no, I but like it right really now. is. It really is more <laughs> about like learning the enemies, learning how yeah. to use the items very well, and you know. So as a result, I don't mind necessarily that I'm really just unlocking new areas because like really more of that game is unlocking new abilities to fight with. Whereas Chasm, the combat is just so fiddly and not fun and the platforming is fiddly um, that like, it's like, yeah, okay, now I can go to another room that is a random hodgepodge of rooms. Whereas in Dead Cells, it, 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 I feel like the randomization of the map works more in its favor as opposed to making me feel like I'm just not... In Chasm, it's like, oh, I got to another room, but it doesn't feel like I'm making progress. It just feels like I'm running through a room. Right, and especially because in Chasm, a lot of the times when you get a new traversal ability that, like, you will you might remember, oh, there was, like, some gap that I could crawl under way back where, first of all, because there aren't any memorable landmarks, it's hard to kind of recall exactly where that might have been because they're not marked on the map in any way. Like, you might see that there is an opening, like, to progress to, like, a door, basically, marked on the map, but you don't remember what kind of obstruction was there. Like, could I not progress through that room because I needed to have a double jump? Was it because I needed to crawl? What was it? But like when you when you find um, a traversal ability and you get through, you might just find a chest with like a crappy healing item in it or something. Like it's not even meaningful yeah, most of the time. So yeah. so it's really hard to justify combing over everything. And yet you kind of have to because the only real progression in Chasm, I mean, I guess there, there are levels and equipment, but your town has like some people that you can save from the dungeon and then they'll add shops and stuff. But it's all very by the numbers and... Um, you have to go back and, and go through all of the previous areas that you were in through, sorry, with a fine toothed comb to find the villagers who can like give you upgrades. But anyway, yeah. Um, if you are listening to this episode and you haven't heard of chasm and you're interested in Metroidvanias or like, you want to know more detail about why we're discussing it or why we're saying it doesn't work. Um, I should have looked up the name of this video, but uh, I can probably find it, and maybe I'll put it in the show notes or something. But uh, yeah, so it's like basically just YouTube, um, why Chasm doesn't work or something, and there's a really good analysis of why <laughs> the pieces don't really fit together. Um, I was going to say, this is also pretty tangential, but you were saying, Rob, that you were playing Dead Cells, and you reached a point where you were like, you know what, I enjoyed this game, and now I've kind of stretched it beyond its limits, and I don't yeah. like it anymore because of the direction it went in. Yeah, That is my exact experience with, not an RPG, but The Messenger... Yeah, you were talking to us about that in the pre-show. Yeah, yeah it's the ninja guide about the messenger. <laughs> it's like the Ninja Gaiden clone that's been in the works for quite a while, and uh, the the main gimmick is you sort of shift between an eight bit NES style game and a sixteen bit SNES, or it's more like Genesis to me, really, game because uh, it sounds like the Genesis sound chip. But uh, yeah, it's like a, a linear action platformer game uh, that's like Ninja Gaiden, and I liked it a lot. And then uh, about halfway through the game, it turns into a Metroidvania. And I actually kind of hate that, which surprises me because I like Metroidvanias, but I think it doesn't work well. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, it, I, I can't 
I can't confirm because I I didn't know this game existed until you told me about it five minutes ago. Um, <laughs> but like, I feel like level design is really important, right? And like, designing a level based game is very different than designing a Metroidvania. Like we just said, like the touchstones that you have for progression and the things that feel good are necessary necessarily wow i can't think of that word necessarily necessarily different in those styles of games right like compare like a symphony of the night to like a classic castlevania style game like the way you move through those games even though there are like similar similar visual elements feels very different yeah yeah and i know we can't really talk about it too much because it's not an rpg but like i think that's why all of us who have played hollow knight are like completely in love with that game because my god yeah as you, mm-hmm. when you get mm-hmm. the four or five main movement upgrades, and the game just says, "Go have fun, dude!" Like, find where you need to go. You can place your own markers. You can come back, and I, I'm playing it through again because I, I needed something to play before we get to the first game we're going to talk about. Needed that sweet hit, that sweet uh, hit of and I needed bug and exploration. I, I played it for like five hours, and I was tearing through it so much faster. I was the guy that did not get the double jump in that game until super late. Because you can get around a lot of obstacles. Like, they give you the ability to get around certain obstacles, like the uh, the pogo jump. And I remember Steven messaged me. We talked like, about this, yeah. Yeah, you were so angry. You were like, I can't use this pogo jump to get past this area. I'm like, dude, you're not supposed to. I remember there's, the exact area, upgrade. <laughs> well, it's funny, because I, I got the double jump, like, last. So, like, I did the same, same thing. Yeah. And, like, I got through a lot of, like, platforming puzzles being like, uh, that was really hard. Because <laughs> um, you were you were kind of well, breaking the game a little bit. <laughs> well, there's that Crystal Caves area, too, yep. that, like, it's a secret area in the Crystal Caves, for those of you who've played it. It's when you break one of the walls on the left, and then you're supposed to have, like, the wall dash that lets you, like, you know, like, rocket across a room horizontally. But there are crystals that you can hop on, and I was, like, hopping on these crystals that shoot laser beams over an endless death pit. And it's, like, <laughs> eight rooms long. And so I'm, like, trying to pogo my way through these rooms, and I got, like, six rooms in, and then it's, like, impossible to progress, and it's almost impossible not to die going back. So I was just like, Rob, what is happening? What am I doing wrong? This game is way too hard. And it's like, yes. Yes, it is, Steven. You're doing it wrong. It's- yeah, but I bet that's, that's the kind of thing that, uh, like, I bet a speedrunner does that, you know, to get to oh, that yeah, earlier on. I and, love and, like, it felt rewarding. Yeah, yeah, well, Hollow Knight basically lets you sequence break without it feeling like sequence breaking. Yes. yes. Because yes. you get to choose the direction that you go in. Because, yeah, like like you said, you both got the the double jump pretty late. I remember getting it maybe around, like, halfway through my game. And it's just amazing how well all of Hollow Knight's areas are interconnected and they fit together so organically that yeah. even though you're not really given direction, you never feel totally like, okay, this is clearly way not where I'm supposed to be. You can usually, like, still dig through and maybe find like oh i found a power up anyway even though this area feels very high level or whatever for me you know yeah like it it never it it felt like there were no hard limits somewhere you could go it was just did i get did did i die here or you know like was i able to sneak past all these enemies that came in two bits and and then they very early in the game they established like the three main areas you need to go to on your map so you kind of know sort of where you need to go and you start thinking about it organically i can understand why like you know i I listen to the giant bomb cast a lot and like all of them with the exception of i think abby kind of like bounced off of it and i can understand why because i think the beginning bad taste is tough to have well i I didn't want to say that but uh I, i think the beginning of hollow knight is a little rough like you don't have a lot of movement upgrades it's maybe a little boring you have to get two or three movement upgrades before it really starts to open up but also that game puts a lot of pressure on you when it comes to maps and when you first get to an area it doesn't map it out for you you have to get to a save room but you got to find the map first of that area before you can get to the save it, like 
I, I get why that's annoying. And at first I was like, man, this is really going to bug me. And instead, huh, bug. But like at, at the same time, it made it so that it felt dangerous to explore. And I can't say that about a lot of Metroidvanias. Like, and, and I was being pedantic earlier before we started recording. And I think Hollow Knight's more of a strict Metroid game because it's not based around uh, equipment upgrades or stats. It, it takes kind of that RPG of the Symphony of the Night out. It's more of a straight Metroid game. But it really asks a lot of you as a player. And you can run into bosses that you do not... You have no business fighting yet. You don't have enough <laughs> yeah. to fight. And you're like, man, this is really hard. Like, I got demolished on a boss like eight times in a row that I took out on my first try just because the progression, I got to him sooner and didn't have enough damage output. It's a fascinating game. It's also absurd that that game was only 15000 on Kickstarter. That was They, they made that game. Their Kickstarter was 15000 Oh, my God. Well, I've hoped, I hope they would uh, rather. Wow, I cannot talk. I would hope that they have already made their money back like tenfold because people uh, love that game. And it's been the number there. one selling game on Switch for like a month and a half or something. Like whenever I pull up the Switch store, it's number one. I feel like such a freaking Dorcas because I owned it on PC since the day it came out <laughs> and didn't even boot it until it came out on Switch. And then I was like, oh, it's on Switch now. I better play it. And then like, I was like, oh, this game's amazing. And I've owned it the whole time. I'm very smart. I'm I'm ready to double dip on it. Like I own it on PC and I actually went through back when it released on Switch, I picked up the PC version again and I hadn't done any of the DLC stuff, so I did all of the Grim Troop and then I checked out um some of the stuff that was added in like the Lifeblood update and then I started with the newest DLC, the God Seeker that was just released. Oh which yeah, is I haven't done that. Basically one. just like a super boss rush um and every boss has like three tiers of difficulty and yeah it's it's crazy Normal, absurd and dear christ why <laughs> that's exactly right <laughs> like yeah. from now on i want all difficulty modes i don't need pictures or anything like new spider-man has like amazing spectacular whatever friendly i need all difficulty modes to just have three different facial expressions of rob like <laughs> rob rob looks rob looks bored rob is smiling rob is just rage angry and that can be the difficulty modes and then the, and then the, the fourth scale. one yeah, the Rob scale. And then the fourth one will just be a controller snapped in half. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like that, fire behind it and like blood dripping on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I wasn't Rage. a huge fan of that last piece of DLC, but I like the fact that you can fight all the bosses again. That is one of the things that is missing from the Souls games. It's like, I don't want to replay this whole game. I want to replay some of the boss fights. And so like... Every, I just feel like Hollow Knight was made by people that love video games and like everything I could think of they put into that game like oh man this optional boss ah now i'm gonna have to come all the way back and fight him again oh wait you started me right outside the optional boss room because you knew how hard this guy was yeah okay good okay we've we've got yeah right hollow knight is amazing go play it It if you haven't already go play Um, game of the year 2017 and 2018 uh i mean i i don't think you're really wrong i played it in like the last (laughs) three days of 2017 and if i played it any sooner it would be in my top five uh, top three of the year probably and that's why Um, it counts for 2018 because nobody played it in 2017 which is so sad i was also going to say uh, i looked up the title of that video on chasm it is called a chasm of mediocrity procedurally generated metroidvanias oh i am watching that tonight and it is by ingenious clown gaming wow that's a name uh okay (laughs) So let's move on to RPGs because that's why you're here, right? Uh, <laughs> I think I'm here, yeah. 
I, I don't know if you're here. Can you really be sure? Are any of us really here? I, 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 had a, oh, I, had no. a, I had a student the other day say we're all in a simulation, and I nearly smacked the taste out of his mouth. I was like, I actually hate Wow. You. They know how to set me off. They do that. And then another kid was like, uh, Mr. Steinman, I was asked to ask you if the earth was flat. Oh. And oh, wow. Like, it was just, all right, we're going to have a fight right now. Oh, my God. Mr. Steinman, I was told to tell you that the mouthfeel of Path of Exile is better than the mouthfeel of Diablo 3. Can you comment oh my on God. that? Wow. Did you say mouthfeel or yeah. mouthfeel? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. It was, I, I was trying to think of something that sounded like weird. Like a fine wine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. I had a Lyft driver the other day who uh, was trying to tell me about chemtrails and flat earth stuff while oh she was uh, driving. Oh and oh she pulled out her iPad and pulled up YouTube videos on chemtrails while she was driving me. What the hell? It was, I got some pamphlets for you right now that we need to go so, into. So but, and, a, and an iPad. Like, that's. Yes. That thing like, is, how do you do that? I don't know. Uh, uh, okay. Um, anyway, chemtrails aside, it's that hard sounds like to do with a phone. <laughs> <laughs> what are they spraying? So, it's the game everybody's been waiting for. It's the game you've been waiting to hear about. We've Yakuza played it. Kiwami too. Uh, we'll get to that. Most of us <laughs> okay. have played it, I think, and most of us are having a ball with it. It is Dragon Quest Eleven: Echoes Woo-hoo! of an Elusive Age. I'm, uh, I'm the odd man out because I have too much to do this month. Hey, that's understandable. That's Play a Dragon Quest when you can. Actually, we're theming things now, Caitlin. You're the odd slime out. Oh. <laughs> Dragon Quest. That explains it... why I'm so wet. <laughs> For Dragon Quest, me good too. Night, ev- good um, night, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that came out wrong. Yeah, Y'all no. got to ease up on the puff puff. I will That's acquiesce easy. to this request. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, it's like we've been waiting for Dragon Quest XI for what seems like an eternity. It came out in Japan last year. An elusive been... age ago. An elusive age ago. Well, this is sorry. why you're here. I'm so glad. I'm so sorry. Don't be. RPG uh, fans, pun encounter. I mean, it's appropriate for Dragon Quest, right? Uh, so uh, We're yeah. playing it. We like it. Rob, does it put a smile on your face or no? Uh, so, like... I've been waiting to play this game for so long, and it, this is the worst time of year for this game to come out. It was the start of school. It was actually the first day of classes here at my school. You're still in school. Well, oh, shut up. The first. I am an instructor. Thank you very much. Thank uh, you. The first, the first day of classes at school was the day Dragon Quest came out. It came out last Tuesday. That was our first day of classes. And like when I finally got a chance to get home and fire it up and like the intro music started playing and the opening cinematic, I am not kidding. I teared up. I was oh, like, yeah. I am so ready for this. I was like back in my college dorm when I played Dragon Quest Eight for the first time. And like all the, the videos, like Tim Rogers did a very Tim Rogers review on Kotaku of Dragon Quest Eleven. It's a very I, good review. I love his zany writing. His Final Fantasy Thirteen review is still something I go back to and read whenever I just need a good laugh. Yeah, and he's it, really talented. It really makes sense why so many people talk about the nostalgia that they feel for Dragon Quest, the music cues, the sound effects. Like, after you've played a fair number of these games, it really does make sense. And I'm just sitting there with the, like, biggest idiot smile on my face every time I play this game. Like, yes, it's a it's a simple JRPG. Yes, you're going around and you're doing the same things that you've done in all Dragon Quests with some new stuff on top. 
And I just love it for that. It's, it knows exactly what the fans want. And yes, you could definitely make an argument that, well, you know, the game that hasn't really gone anywhere as a series. Uh, remember when they tried to make Dragon Quest IX an action RPG and people threatened suicide and that's why we can't have nice things. But like, I'm just so happy playing this game right now. It's exactly what I want. Just running around the field, getting into fights and just getting into general like Ah, it's just so good. I'm just so happy. And and bravo, Derek, on your review over at uh, over at your outlet. What is that? CVG? CGM. Yeah. CG- Damn it! Comics and Gaming Magazine. I tried to do premier source for video games and comic information. You're an ass. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, your review was brilliant. Rob's review on RPG Fan was brilliant, and we have too many Robs on RPG Fan, so I, I should be more. Uh, I should be better in saying Rob Rogan. It's just an awesome game, and I'm just really, really enjoying it. Uh, I'm playing it on PC. It runs like a dream on my PC. I can play it upstairs on the Steam Link. I can play it downstairs in my office. Uh, but I know Steven played the 3DS version, so I'm kind of... And I'm, I was bummed when we weren't going to get the 3DS version. So mm. to maybe shift over to Steven a little bit, did you beat the 3DS Japanese version? I did. Um, you, did. Really? You. you beat yeah. a Dragon very Quest. Recently, very recently. Very, very recently. Um, there, th- I don't want to spoil anything for you guys, but there's like more after you beat it that I haven't yeah. done yet. So like... I think a purist would say I haven't beaten it, but I beat, like, the main scenario. Um, yeah, I actually am sort of sad we didn't get the 3DS version in some format. I know there are people who pipe-dreamishly believe that the Switch version will somehow be the Unreal Engine version that's on PS4 and PC and the 3DS version, but no. Um, yeah, like, no. They're, they're, they're different enough, and the 3DS one has the ability, like, I feel like it actually sort of got forgotten because of how... You know, we're just getting the PS4 version here, but, like, the 3DS version, you can switch between, like, classics, SNES-style graphics and the 3DS graphics. Um, and for the first arc of the game, while you're in uh, the home, their hometown, I can't remember what it's called, but... Uh, Cobblestone. It's, uh, Cobblestone, yeah. Um, you know, you have both. Like, the top screen is the 3D and the bottom screen is the, um, like, the 16-bit graphics. Um and uh, I don't think I, I I have I have my Steam library shared with Rob, so I played the played it a little bit um, the new one. Wait, what? And, uh, when did I when did I share my Steam library with you? Oh, eons ago, I've gotten it. <laughs> it has been a lucrative agreement. Um, <laughs> but you know, I realized I uh, I guess you can't jump in that version, and that's interesting because you also can't jump in the 2D version on 3DS, but you can jump in the 3D version. So like all three versions of the game are pretty different um, in terms of like how the levels are structured and there are like certain areas where a, a a chest will be like invisible in 2d or invisible in 3d but really obvious in one of the other versions so like there is a lot of cool swapping around about that and uh you know there's a whole side quest involving like street passes and these little things called yochi um i don't know what they call them in english but they're like the little ghosts you can collect on the map um and uh, you run them through a special dungeon, and you get to go through dungeons that are themed after all the classic Dragon Quest games. Um, and I, I don't think that's in the console version, but I could be wrong. And I hope they are, because they're really cool. And, like, for me, I have no nostalgia for Dragon Quest. It's just that series that I could never get into, because I hate Akita Toriyama's art style. Oh, um, you're so wrong. Okay. And, like... I'm not so like, I know. Like, I, mean, I, don't I, like like I don't even like Chrono Trigger's artwork. Like, I love the what? sprites. The sprites look amazing. But that's because they look less like his design. Um, no, I just... Uh... But, like, I, I, I respect it. I wouldn't say he's, like, not talented. It's just I don't personally like the style. Um, 
but yeah, so like there's there's a lot that's interesting about Dragon Quest XI to me, and having only like I was saying before the show, like having only played this one through in Japanese, and it's the only one I've beaten other than like Dragon Quest Builders and stuff. Uh, I don't have like a touchstone for the English stuff, so like I'm having to ask everyone. I'm like, all right, what is this spell called in English? Um, you know, because Rob, you were asking, you know, like about the localization because the studio Schlock that handles Dragon Quest is phenomenally talented. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of, like, punny enemy names and stuff. And a lot of that is in the spirit of the Japanese one. I actually think it's punched up a little in the English to its to its benefit. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, like, I don't know the names of, like, the moves in English. But they're all, in like, you know, like, they're, like, onomatopoeia in Japanese. And yeah, they're kind of similar. Whoosh, whoosh is the wind whoosh. spell. Come on. Right, you know. Like... So, uh, like, that kind of stuff I think is very cool. And it's weird only having the Japanese to think about. Um, and being like, wow, I don't like I had to ask Derek. I was I was translating a, a manga the other day that I work on. And uh, there was like a sequence where the characters are in a Dragon Quest world. And it's all kinds of like very like obvious Dragon Quest references. Mm -hmm. And at one point, a character gets turned into basically an entertainer. And even though Puff Puff is stupid, I was like, Derek, what did they what, what is the move where like, you know, people do the sexy thing? Um, you know, and I didn't and I didn't know it was called in English, although it's funny because in Japanese, it's just literally the onomatopoeia for Puff Puff. So. Uh, it was one of those more straight localizations they took. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't remember what I got to the point. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> the 3DS version is great. I, you know, I think I really like the visuals in the PC version, and like Rob said, it runs great and it like looks really good. Um, I actually prefer the 3DS graphics. Um, I, I like the scale of the world, and I think it adds a lot to the adventure that it is so large in the console version. But I actually think the character models are cuter. And I, I, I have grown to like them quite a bit, actually, on 3DS. And, like, they all sort of have, like, you know, it's like this Mega Man 7 and 8, like, cuteness to them. Like, you can jump in that version, and when you jump, it's like, whoop. You know, <laughs> so, like, you run around, and you're just sort of, like, cute jumping everywhere, and you're, like, your team of little adventurers. just like, whoop, whoop, we're all super deformed and carrying giant swords, and one of us has huge boobs for some reason. Yeah, so it's got kind of, like, a more nostalgic vibe in general, which is very Dragon Quest. Yeah. yeah. I'd say the PC slash PS4 version just kind of feels like Dragon Quest Eight on steroids. Yeah, yeah, it just yeah, feels definitely. like a very big version. I was a little bummed that the that it's zone based, like more like a an MMO where it's not the big open world of Dragon Quest Eight, which is one of the things that I like remember so much about that game. That was a minor bummer, but at the same time, it also feels like it, it's more more handcrafted in a positive way. So it's like, okay, you, you gave up a little bit of that coherence of the big open world for yeah, yeah I mean activity. Yeah, it, it feels similar to me. You're right that it is. It's kind of split by loading screens, more or less, like regions instead of one giganto world. But um, you still get like a ship that you can use to sail around the yeah. world and stuff. So there's yeah. still a full world map to explore. Now, uh, the, the PC load times are like, I can't even read the hint text fast enough. Is that the deal on PS4 as well? Are the load times that good? They're probably a little bit slower on the PS4, but it's really not bad. It is amazing to me, like, how well uh, this game, like, it feels polished, it runs really well, the menus open up, re like, really snappy. Like, and I know that feels like a really stupid thing, but, like, it's not. It, just, it just feels very polished. Like, yeah. everything feels really, like, where it needs to be. I, I, so I agree. I think it, I think it runs great. I think it, I think it is definitely polished and certainly a step up from some of Square's other PC conversions. I do feel um, the fact that the mouse doesn't work on any of the main menus, like there's no mouse cursor at all, 
feels a little early 2000s PC port to me. Like, yeah, the fact that when you fair. hit a, you know, you can't back out of a menu by hitting escape if you're on a keyboard. Because, like, I'm, I, you know, I didn't plug in a controller. I, I played with the keyboard for a little bit. But I, if I was going to play, I would probably play the controller. But, like, it felt a little weird <laughs> to not be able to just mash escape to get out of menus. It's like, oh, no, here comes this, like, Windows shell pop-up that's like, I had, we're not of Dragon Quest. I had no idea how to quit the game on PC. Like, I had that moment of just, like, I don't know how to quit the game. And then I just hit escape, and it says, would you like to turn off Dragon Quest Eleven? And I'm like... Yes, yeah, it, it, it's it's a it's to me it's a little weird. Um, like again, I wouldn't say it feels like a slapdash port because there are lots of like there's lots of visual options and stuff. I just I always find it a little jarring when in you know in 2018 you hit escape and then you get that like weird abrupt pop up that's not part of the rest of the experience. Um, and you know again with with the lack of mouse control, I, I do think maybe that's a little bit of a missed opportunity. Um, but by and large, it's still like a very good conversion. And like, if you have a controller, I don't think you'd ever even notice that really. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. And and it's nice that they focused so much energy on the Steam port of the game, just because PC gaming is so much bigger here in the West than it is in Japan. Mm. And it feels like that was kind of their way of, I don't know, maybe not like ensuring the success of it in the West, but it certainly didn't hurt. And it, and it's probably going to help the, the case in general for, um, Continuing to bring Dragon Quest games over to North America. Oh, I Europe. think there's, I think there's a real chance that it sells better on PC than PS4, um, just because of Steam sales and things like that. Like when this game comes down to like thirty-five bucks on like the Christmas Steam sale, it was already the the highest selling game on Steam there for a little bit, and I think that that's a really good move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, overall, um, I mean, so solid sort of marketing or, or port strategy, and then. The game itself, I think, is just like one solid traditional Japanese RPG. It's got pretty much everything that you could want in terms of like, I think all of the main core cast members are uh, likable for the most part. I think some of them get less development than the rest. But can we talk about Eric's voice for a second, though? Why? What about it? Because he he sounds like before Christian Bale knew how to do an American accent in Newsies. Is Eric Kamui uh, the blue-haired thief? Yes. No. Yes. His, his voice acting in English is not bad, but that that's actually one minor complaint I have about the game is that the voice acting overall is very hit and miss. Like the the good voice actors are knocking it out of the park and then the other ones I'm kind of like, "Oh, that's e and and I I've, I've only had Eric in my party for so long and he it's not bad it just feels like slightly off it it feels like uh, god I'm it's like star it's, ocean 2 well, with there's faith line god and then that random girl you get who has the worst voice of all time oh sarah uh, no wait that's, that's star ocean 4 it feels it like a the, poo little it, the little girl or whatever it feels like a, oh limel in star ocean 3 <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah limel no four she's four oh, sorry four yeah it, it feels like three. it feels like when a poo does the american accent on the simpsons I will so, like, say, yeah, it I think weird. I think Eric does sound like um, he's probably a British, yeah, uh, or or European voice actor trying to do more of like it. Almost sounds kind of like a like a Brooklyn wannabe yeah. accent. It sounds like he's going to be hanging out with Spider Man, you know, having a cup of coffee. <laughs> Find <But>, Spider Man. <laughs> but but also, I I feel like um, Eric's sort of accent is explainable like to a degree by his background yeah. which you don't know for a long time yeah um yeah but but also think that eric has the most kind of like 
American newscaster type sounding voice out of a cast of mostly British accents. Yeah. <laughs> so it is a little bit odd yeah. to hear him. But, All right, but, uh, Shelk, how you doing there, Eric? Quite but then good, you've got, sir. But then yeah. you've got Hendrick, who sounds like early Tim Curry, and it's amazing. Like, I love his voice. Like, I thought it was Tim Curry for a second. I'm like, well, no, that's no, it's not Tim Curry. But like, it sounds like him. Who like, is Silence, Kerr? Um, that's Hendrick? General Greg or Grieg in Japanese. Uh, OK, wow. Hendrick, huh? Interesting. Yeah. Also, why does this game discriminate against Rob's? Uh, because <laughs> oh, because there's yes. a character named Rob. I specifically asked them to dummy your name out. I'm, I'm like, I was so, I'm sitting there putting my name in, and I've always been Robert in every Dragon Quest game. It just says, you cannot pick this name. And Jackie looks at me, and I look at Jackie, and I'm like, what? <laughs> That's one of the, the main what about, names. What about, like, a, can you do Rob or Robbie? Um, it would not take Rob, Robbie. It did not like any of them. That's oh, because, denied. Because the character Rab, his full name is Robert, so they reference it in the text. I mean, they say it a lot, so they're probably just trying to avoid. Extremely hurtful. Oh my god, get over it. I know, I know, I know. I'm very yeah. famous. I, it just, it, it was a slight annoyance, but it, it was like hysterical. I've been waiting all day, to, all year, to play this game, and I sit down and like the first thing I try to do, I'm like, "No, Rob, this game's not for you." See, I, I yelled at Rob for this because you can't be going into a fantasy world being like, "Yeah, time for our journey with Tetherman, Flathalish, Shulk, and Rob." Rob, <laughs> you know, come up with something fantasy like Rob with like an I and a Y or something like. Oh, oh his name is Roy. Uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> I couldn't. I, I'm sorry, I couldn't pick such an original, astounding, heroic name like William. Just, just name yourself. <laughs> name yourself like a middle-aged suburban white mom, like Lakin with seven Ys or Ashlyn. <laughs> That's a middle-aged suburban white mom named Lakin. Yeah, sure. Or oh, McCarty. She did a semester. McCarty. She did a semester and a half at Berkeley, and she found herself. That's when she came back with that name. <laughs> oh my god! Oh yeah, that's I forgot what you were referencing for a second, but you're doing oh, like uh, here. Can I hijack us for two seconds about Dragon Quest? Here, the cute sound effect. I couldn't hear it. I can hear it. I can hear the music, but oh, oh, the music. Oh, too there it is. I hear that. Are, yeah, are you gonna yeah. Are you gonna ask us which Dragon Quest it's from? Because none of us will be able to answer. Yeah, right. Oh my god. <laughs> to be honest, okay, look, I, I forgive me if this is not where you were wanting to take the discussion. I, I don't want to sound overly negative on Dragon Quest, but I the think music the one element yeah, that everyone is negative yeah. on. Yeah. You know, Sugiyama is a racist. Uh, I didn't need to not say bad words. Uh, anyway, he's a racist, and <laughs> I think I actually think older Dragon Quest games, even though I personally don't like their music very much have a style and a, and a vibe that yeah. is very nostalgic and like mm -hmm. they're not bad like i actually think the main theme is good and like some of the musical cues are very memorable um they are yeah but you know i i, I think 11 is a much worse score like the older games had a little more music uh they were still you know i think even the older games kind of stretched the like we're gonna make a two disc soundtrack last for 900 hours like dragon quest 7 um, but even seven, I feel like had a little more like song diversity, like in towns and stuff. I think seven had two town themes, if I'm not wrong. And uh, two whole town themes. Well, oh my god! Now, right, that, that's our standard here. Well, to be fair, I think that uh, I've played very little of this game so far, and I've gotten to three main towns, and each one actually does have its own town theme, and I really liked it. But I totally agree with you. There's not enough music. The world map music is already grating on my nerves to a point of just now i'm actually not sure i don't even like that song 
I don't want to no, call you out here, ter- but I, I don't want to call you out here, but I don't think you heard three separate town themes because the town theme is the same in every town. Not uh, in Hado. Like, yeah, Hado has its own town theme. But, oh, does uh, it? But that is also just um, it's a town theme from I want to say like Dragon Quest three. It's like oh. it's directly it's that song. Oh, I see. Okay, did not realize that. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and like I like the I. I like the MIDI beepy boopy music because I think it goes along with like the sound effects and stuff, but I totally agree. There's not enough. Like you can't have a 40 minute soundtrack covering this one hour, 100 hour epic RPG. Like yeah, I, it, I got annoyed with the Witcher 3 soundtrack when I was in Skellige because I kept hearing that woman's voice. Like I just, I got tired that of that. Is massive. Like that no, sounds it like is. massive. It mm-hmm. is, but like the Skellige theme, for whatever reason, it it loops a little too much. And Dragon Quest takes that minor issue in Witcher 3, multiplies it, squares it, and then rams it in your ear. And it's just like it sucks. And now on PS4, you can't even play custom soundtracks. Yeah. And thankfully right. on Steam, you can. And I'm already like looking at ambient music that I'm just gonna use in the background because I'm looking at the Path Traveler soundtrack. That'd be much better. That is actually, problem because that's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. So not only, not only is Koichi, has its own theme. Yes. Not only is Koichi Sugiyama like uh, notoriously bad in terms of some of his views, but also like uh, he's really horrible about the licensing of his music. And every modern Dragon Quest game has had these ridiculous restrictions on like if you're going to stream it, you can't stream it with uh, the soundtrack for more than five minutes, or like you can't do it in certain places and. There's like all of these weird licensing issues, uh, restrictions in place, so that you can't, you can't even like share the music. And uh, if, if you if notice, you would want to, yeah, if you would want to, if you would want to. And then, and the fact that you can't even use your own custom soundtrack over it on PS4 has like stop forcing me to listen to your crappy music, you old racist. Yeah, I, I, it's 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 also it's just it's it's a little bit of a bummer because like the production of this game is so high quality. Exactly. Like they made mm-hmm. three versions of this game. You know, and the yeah. ports are pretty good. Like, their Square Enix did not slack off on this game. Um, and I think, you know, I, I understand why they would keep going with Sugiyama. He's done every game. There is a vibe in Dragon Quest that people want. And as we saw with Nine, when you change that vibe, everyone loses their mind. Um, <laughs> you know, introduce so, a little chaos. Yeah. They, if they change the music, they would introduce a little chaos. Like, I'm pretty sure all the fans would be off, like, driving cars around trying to, you know, run Batman over or whatever it is they do. But, like, I also think, uh, I really feel strongly, like, Square Enix has been pretty good with some of their newer franchises, Octopath, for example, of, like, bringing in these new composers. They're not necessarily responsible for that. But, um, you know, bringing in new talent, I think, is the best way to keep things feeling fresh. And you can still keep a tone. Like, Final Fantasy XIV is undeniably Final Fantasy. You know, but like Uematsu has had very little to do with that soundtrack, but it still, I would say, fits in with the canon of that series. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think part of the problem is that Final Fantasy has had several composers. You know, we haven't had just Uematsu since I think what nine. So, and I don't even think he did all the cutscene. No, he did. Never mind. Anyway, point being, you know, their you, Dragon Quest as a series has not yet been like trained to see like people will come in and replace Sugiyama. Yeah. And I, I personally think in the next one, you won't get all Sugiyama. You'll probably get either somebody else entirely or a pair of people or a group of people. And I think that would really help the like aud- the audio identity of the game. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cause they don't you know, have any identity having played not to cut you off, but having played four, five, six, seven, eight again, and now 11 in the past two years, with the exception of eight, because that was at a point in my life that I can really vividly remember, I could not tell you where all the music was coming from. Right. And, They're very and, samey. Yeah. Yeah. And like, again, it's not like you have to get away from the tone. Like, there is a tone to Dragon Quest. Like, I think I know when I'm listening to Dragon Quest music, kind of like I know when I'm listening to anything from Falcom. Like, you know mm-hmm. there is a there is a vibe, although Falcom is pretty diverse, too. But, like... um you know, like, for example, like with Divinity Original Sin 2, the composer from the first game who had worked with Larian on all their previous games, I think, he passed away. And he was very distinctive and very good. And the new composer managed to keep things, you know, obviously it's not identical, but the tone of the soundtrack feels very much like his the, the, the previous composer's works. And, you know, if you look at, like, Bravely Default, like, Bravely Default fits in with that canon of JRPG music that feels like those, like, classics that we like. Um... So, like, there's no reason they can't bring in someone new and, like, maybe younger and hopefully 100% less racist uh, to do the music and still have it feel like Dragon Quest, but have it feel a little more, like, lively and, like, a little bit of verve in there. Like, you know, I, I, I hope very much that Dragon Quest Twelve, which we know is coming, I'm sure it is, um, just don't expect a simultaneous localization, um, <laughs> you know, it. I feel like... It would it would benefit so hugely. Like I feel like you could actually increase the dragon questiness of it by bringing someone new in yeah. with some fresh ideas. Yeah, I think so know. too. Yeah, I mean, not to belabor the point, I just think it's time for for some evolution or, or for some variance. And I get that there's this kind of paradigm where Final Fantasy is the Square Enix franchise that is ambitious and bold and tries new things and tries to innovate with every entry. And then Dragon Quest is the other half where it's traditional and comforting and that's all well and good for there to be that kind of distinction and and, and that's fine i just think that musically um one that's one area where dragon quest has become incredibly stale and it's no longer like yeah. nostalgic or traditional i just think it's bland now. yeah so, no, i agree i agree i i spent the uh i think caitlin will appreciate this i spent the summer listening to a lot of xenogears yes like i was getting grading done and my summer courses and xenogears is very midi i mean it's very playstation one bippity boppity boopity but it has melody it has substance to it i can remember scenes vividly from that soundtrack and i'm just like man if you could put some of that into dragon quest like you could still have that high energy you know you know, bippy, bippity boppity music. It works. Yeah. Uh, no, no, we're not doing, we're not doing Honey Bee In. No, that wasn't not. Honey Bee In. That was Dragon Quest. Oh, okay. I thought it was Honey Bee In. Totally do it. Uh, but I, I, I want to, you know, I, I kind of see, I agree with Derek. I want to get back to really good stuff about Dragon Quest. Just running around the field and the fact that the the fights are now, you can see them on the field. They had that little bit of interaction that you had from like a Shin Megami Tensei 4 where you can attack enemies to do a little bit of damage to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, oh yeah, the field enemies are real cool. Or the way it works in console was the first thing I noticed. It's really cool. Like it's the, so it's on the same field area. Yeah. It's so super snappy, like in and out of combat, super fast, which is just as I'm running lower and lower on free time to play games, like the fact that the game is so snappy and is respectful of that and just the quality of life improvements that I think we all take for granted in a lot of other series. Now that Dragon Quest has them, like the fact that I know where to go for a quest 
where like remember in Dragon Quest 7 it's like who where's the one puppy I need to talk to in this village <laughs> to make this quest continue oh my god I've gone through all these houses oh he was on the second floor of that house F like it's just like you, come on you petted all the dogs I petted all the dogs and the story is still not going so clearly there is one more dog that I need to pet or this one stone statue I need to talk to. Like, it's just, I, I think Dragon Quest Eleven is so much better about that. And the towns are gorgeous. Like, they're just fun to run around. And then they incentivize you to explore, which is like, that's the number one thing for me in any video game. Like, oh, I found a recipe for an item. Ooh, now I have a much stronger item earlier in the game than I should have. Oh, now I'm crafting it in the cute little forge thing and it's got this cute little mini game and ooh, what do I they call the forge in english uh, fun size forge the what the fun size forge <laughs> it's, funny. it's great and like and that little mini game gives you uh perfectionist points that then you can use to upgrade your other material like all of these systems are feeding into each other without overwhelming the player and I think that's what I really like about Dragon Quest 11 is that they are incorporating some new things but they're not like cranking the dial to 11 and then breaking it off with systems and numbers and things to worry about. They, uh, two things on that same note that I really like, uh, one that is not systemic, but, uh, I also think it's the dragon quest with the best cutscene. Yeah. Like, they're super, like they look very cool. Um, and like, even in the 3ds, like the action scenes, I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, but like, there's a scene early on where, uh, Hendrick Greg is like chasing you. On yeah, course. I just and on 3DS it today. looks awesome. Like I don't know how it looks on console, but I'm sure it looks good because it's sort of similar framing. But like I was like, wow, this is very like that. I will say is something I think that they've borrowed from the more modern Final Fantasy vibe of like very dramatic cutscene framing. But it still feels like Dragon Quest. It doesn't feel like they're like dipping into like you know three five eight over two melodrama or something. You know, it's very. It, it still feels very Dragon Questy. Um, yeah. And then the uh, I like the uh, I, I think they called it. Um, in Japanese, they call it shibari play, like bound, like binding the player. Uh, but you can like set limitations on the game. Like you can be like, oh, you can only use like these kinds of weapons, or like I think uh, what is it, Draconian Quest? Yeah, Draconian <laughs> Quest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like very cool stuff. The game is like like stupid easy normally. Like you could probably rent like random attack through every or physical attack through every battle and win at least in 3ds. Um, but like I like that there's that sort of more modern edge of like give the player what they want and like on that note like i also noticed in the console version you can actually set the battles to display like classic battles like uh where like it goes like first person or not like it sets the camera behind the party um so like there's a lot of like that modern stuff of like craft the experience to be what you want but it still always has this like dragon quest spirit that i really find very like it is appealing to people who love dragon quest but also to people who are like maybe newer or younger or might not have as much nostalgia for like i got a new random battle every three steps Hmm. they're not random anymore though no it's good stuff the enemies on the map is great uh they're so easy and like you can actually avoid them it's not like chrono trigger enemies on the map where it's like surprise you hit the one trigger that's on the other side of the map for the enemy who's three screens away and now you're in a battle it's like the enemy is right there and you can walk around them and they uh they put the zoom uh wait no i shouldn't say zoom because that's a spell they put the dash in the game so you oh, can yes. run around the environment super fast i can imagine that was probably a little grading on the uh, original japanese release because the environments are big yeah oh so really is big. this like a con is this like a console thing like there's just a dash button to move faster yeah oh interesting okay yeah the, the 3ds one doesn't have that but the environments on 3ds are not that large 
yeah, yeah. they're ve they're very large and i love that sense of scale like when you get to the uh the downtown heliodor area that sense of scale was just awesome and i remember them showing that early oh, that's a cool yeah mm -hmm. yeah it, it's really cool i Is mean that I'm sorry to interrupt you. Is that the town that has like the the castle? You're like in the bottom, and there's like castle walls on the sides with like. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 It, it's just uh, they did a really good job with the Unreal Engine and making this game feel like a a very. It feels like a big version of a eight or sixteen bit RPG. Mm, and that's that cool. That's super awesome, me. And you're just always finding things and crafting materials. There's like a. It feels like they turned up the Dragon Quest Builders stuff a little bit. There's there's been crafting systems in Dragon Quest games before, but now it's like now I got that Builders itch a little bit. Where I'm like, there's a lot of a lot of side quests. I mean, I assume that, I think the side quests are the same between both yeah. versions, but there's a lot of like. Oh, me wife wanted a new sword, but I accidentally sold it. Can you make me a new one with the mystery blacksmith? Yes. Oh, right, so yeah. Um, Random point, or I actually just checked. The dash is added in the English version. It's not yeah, 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 yeah. It's not that's cool. Japanese that's a good addition. I, they added. They made a lot of like, like it's very like mid two thousand square. Where like we released Final Fantasy ten, but we added a bunch of stuff to it to mm -hmm. the English release. It's very much like that. And I would be shocked if these don't get backported somehow to the the Japanese version. Um, yeah, but like yeah. I think that that's that's a really good way to like look at the game and be like, how can we make this more player friendly? Like they did with uh, Zodiac Age. Which yep, is like just... that's the, it's the best version of that game for so many reasons. And oh this yeah, is, you know this is, you know there's nothing wrong with like I shouldn't you know the first time across this field. Sure, I love you know taking in the adventure, but later on in the game when I'm grinding and just trying to get cool swords, I need to just get just get me through. Yeah. Um. Exactly. So I actually have a question. Having not, I haven't got to any field areas in the console one because like I can't if I play it, Rob can't play it. So obviously, um, <laughs> are the fields? And I think this might be a better question for Derek maybe um, or Caitlin. I. I I actually have you. Are you playing it too, Caitlin? No, I I want to very much, but uh, this month has been an onslaught of of stuff. So she's I busy with stuff she can't talk about. Yeah, secret stuff. Secrets. She's developing Final Fantasy sixteen. Mm -hmm. um, no, well, I mean, just it's ridiculous because there's what Dragon Quest, and then some the thing that comes out next week that I can't talk about and then Final Fantasy 14 patch and then Valkyria Chronicles 4 yeah, and then it's Spider -Man. Odyssey and then Redemption Spider 2 Spider-Man Spider-Man yeah Spider-Man oh god so yeah um it's probably going to be like a Black Friday Christmas kind of thing for me mm -hmm. and then eight more months after that because the game is a million hours long yeah so um okay yeah so then in that case probably just Derek so I got the sense looking at it. Are the areas like Tales of Berseria and Tales of Exelia where it's like, here's a big open circle area with kind of just enemies thrown in it. And like, there's not mm. much, I would not argue there's much level design in Berseria. It's literally like we made a, a tile set and we created a 3D environment that has very little interest other than like some chests. Uh, Is there no. a little more structuring to the field areas in Dragon Quest? There's a little more. It's not like... They're not overly complex in the fields, usually. A lot of them will at least have um, different levels, or uh, as you are aware, you can ride mounts in some areas where, like, a monster that you can, you can, like, hop into an egg monster and use it to hop up to a high ledge, or there's, an like... An skeleton. Yeah, an eggs-a-skeleton. Ah. <laughs> so, wait a second. What happens when you defeat it? Is it, like, Lego my ego? Oh, my God. All the king's men couldn't put it back together. Ah! <laughs> How do I remove one person from a call? Excellent. Um, but which one? In life? All of really? you. Really? Yeah. Well, I guess that was an interesting question because, again, I don't want to be negative, 
But like no, no. one one thing I noticed in the 3DS version is that, and I actually, even though I love Octopath, I would ding it for this as well. So many of these modern JRPGs have, get so many things right, but fail completely on level design. And like Octopath is, every dungeon is the same. It's here's hallways yes. with boxes in it. Yes. Dragon Quest on 3DS was literally, every dungeon is the same. It's just like, there's a different animal you can ride. And it's like, you ride it for like 10 seconds. Um, although yeah. some of the field maps did that, which is cool. Like there's the, I don't know, you've done it, Derek, but like there's the the enemy that you can like fly above the map a little bit with. I assume that's in the console one too. Yep. Yeah. Um, and it just, it felt, you know, it's like, okay, the combat here is fun and like visually it's nice, but like I feel sort of like I'm just running down halls. It just really makes me wish every game would just be Golden Sun. <laughs> and have more interesting dungeons. Yeah. I, I do think that they are a little bland, not, I don't know. I, I wouldn't even say that they're that bad. Like they're very, they're so middle of the road for me that I just don't really think much of the dungeon and area design in this game. Um, right. It's serviceable. It's fine. It's not, it's like, not egregious. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And there are some areas that are more complex than others, like dungeons that have many tiers. Um, mm. There's, there's a, a particular dungeon that I'm thinking of right now. That's got like, nine floors where you go deeper and deeper and sometimes you have to like go back up to like fall in a hole to get lower so those oh, are a I little think, bit more, i think i know what you're talking about yeah yeah those are a bit more interesting but there's not like it's not as bad as berseria but it's also not the most complex dungeon design i've ever seen i think it's fine they're just no puzzles really to speak of right so. well it's very i mean it's very in keeping with the series like i don't historically think dragon quest has had like very like puzzle dense dungeons and i know some players don't like that um yeah, they, well, like, they, they've had like little tiny gimmicks in them. Like, okay, yeah. this, this one has like the the switches you need to hit, but like nothing too major. Right. Like, there's one dungeon, uh, kind of like I'd say like a fourth of the way through the game in Dragon Quest, where uh, like there are pits that you can fall into, and you can go up and down, and you have to sort of run to get all the boxes. Basically, you have to go up and down several staircases. Um, so like, it's not like there's no interest, but it's very like Fantasy Star, where it's like all you're really doing is going up and down levels, which is not, again, the game itself, I don't think focuses on that, like mechanically, like you have the animal, like the ride on partner things. Um, but like, it's very much a, like, you know, you go through the dungeon, you fight the battle. Cause I don't think Dragon Quest has ever been a like Shin Megami Tensei, like this game is about delving into these, you know, mad labyrinths and like building your party. It's very like, you know, you went on your brief adventure through this dungeon and saved the day, um, you know, but I just hope more RPGs become Wild Arms and Golden Sun. And have I, just I was going to say uh, Shin Megami... Tools and puzzles. I was going to say Shin Megami Tensei 4 without the obnoxious overworld system. Like, I remember those dungeons, like those office buildings and stuff. Like, those were very memorable to me. Yeah, those were those were good dungeons. They do have pretty solid dungeons in that series. Yeah, I, know, so, I know not everyone would agree with Digital Devil Saga having great dungeons, but they have long dungeons that are very complicated. They are very long, yeah. Um, well, it's not the final dungeon from what was it, Apocalypse? Apocalypse. No, no, no we're not talking. I'm in my happy place. I'm not yes, talking yes. about it. I watched, a, I watched a video of that after Rob ranted about it to me for like a couple of years, um, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it looked pretty complex. Well, unless there's some in the epilogue of Dragon Quest XI, there are no teleportation dungeons that I know of in that game. So, mm -hmm. so we are safe. Well, um, we've talked at length about Dragon Quest XI. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I mean, I think it's just, it's fantastic. Um, it's not without its faults, but I think that it is like a super, super solid traditional Japanese RPG with likable characters. Silvando is amazing. Combat is fun and solid. I'm so um, excited to meet Silvando. Progression is I'm good. So like, oh, darling. 
Should like, you ever it, be? It's just a charming ass game. There's like no other way to say it. Like uh, the whole time, I'm just smiling. I think it's. Uh, Steven said a little bit ago, the game's really easy. I think that actually plays to the game's strength. Like it's an easy breezy adventure. It's fun. Like, and I'm not saying you were saying that that wasn't a strength. I'm, I'm, uh, no, right. Well, yeah, it, right. it's very. It's a very pleasant game. Like I said, yes. like I don't have a lot of nostalgia, but I can sense where the nostalgia in this is coming from. Like, you know, the world is named after, uh, what's his name, Loto, or the hero from the old ones, Erdrich. Yeah. I don't know what they it's, did in English. It's Erd- yeah, it's Erdria. Yeah, Erdria. Erdria. Erdria, right. You know, and like, in Japanese, it's like Lotozaria, which is like very clever. And like, you know, for me, I played it in Japanese because I wanted to play a game with with lots of writing and stuff. And it's, it's very well written, which is why I think the team that handled it in English did a great job um, and was a good choice for it because there's lots of accents in the Japanese version. Um, you know, like I look up, you know, obviously any, any translator who's good looks up words, but like I'm playing it and like looking up lots of like, they have like unique pronouns that I've never heard. Like, so it's very, like a very rich game linguistically. So I actually think for me, it was great that the rest of the game was just so like, you know, again, I, 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 maybe it doesn't sound positive to say it's a great seven out of 10, but to me, I had a, it was a fun game that, you know, I didn't, like, explosively get excited about it, but, like, it was fun to play, and more importantly, I didn't have to worry about all these weird systems and nonsense. It was just, like, I could focus on reading the story and getting the personality of these characters. And I, to what you said, Rob, I think it excels in that. It's very the kind of game you play where you just want to, like, get immersed in this nice story and these charming characters, and, you know, everything is pleasant, and nothing nothing really grates on you. It's just like, yes, this is this is an easy, comforting experience. I'm digging it quite a bit. I I'm very happy. It is exactly what I wanted. Um, I, I think in a I think in some ways maybe it's it's not surprising, but that's okay. Like it it is I, okay. Yeah, I think there are some surprising. I legitimately was surprised by a couple of plot points here and there, but overall mm. the arc of the story is pretty like you know it's hero saves world from the darkness. That's that's the game. It's the and hero's cool. journey, and that's it's cool. very, it's well done. Like yeah, Rob, Rob needs something to calm him into neutrality every now and then. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Or you could have something that's like so subversive that eventually it gets to the point where it just doesn't uh, mean anything or say anything. Oh, like anything by NIS America at this point? No, I was I was basically I watched the Last Jedi again the other night, and I was like, wow, you're oh just being subversive for the sake. We're of not. We're not allowed to. We're not. Last Jedi. I think we're gonna do this. No, no, no. We're just. Because Whatever. I wasn't super high on that, and I have somehow become a defender of Last Jedi. Okay, so no, we're, I'm, no, okay, okay. Whatever. Rob, did I hear your puppy a minute ago? Mm, no. Okay. I'm downstairs in the basement. The puppy's upstairs asleep. Oh, oh puppy, no. I thought you I wanted like puppy whining. <laughs> no. That's the dog you had to go pet. <laughs> That's why you couldn't find him. <laughs> that was the one. That was the one that continued pet my quest. Every dog, all dogs deserve pets. All dogs yes. deserve pets. Yes, they do. Well, Rob, I would like to get your thoughts on another game. Yes, and oh, please, because you've been playing all the big hits lately, the heavy hitters. Um, yep. You've become something of like a, a Yakuza fanatic, from what I can tell. Uh, apparently, I really like these uh, these here Yakuza games. So, He's our correspondent. Uh, you just uh, love yeah. Kiryu like the rest of us. I, oh my who god, doesn't love Who Kiryu. doesn't? Yeah. He's kind. He's kind of. Daddy. I mean, I'm, he, I'm here to gamble in Japan and respect women, and I'm all out of gambling. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's. We've said it before. He's kind of a doofus, like Geralt, and I think that's one of the reasons I like him. Like he finds himself in trouble and is a lot of times really behind where he should be, and I think that's why I like him. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I I, I don't want to cut you off. But, yeah. No. Go ahead. Like go ahead. for too long, but yeah, like 
he serves as a really good focus for the player. I've only played Yakuza Zero, and it's your copy of the game. Thank you. Um, there you go. <laughs> like, he's a great, like, cipher through which to view the game because he's goofy and has a personality, but he's relatively normal compared to literally everything else you encounter <laughs> in that game. Yeah. So it's very, like, Arrested Development before it became terrible and awful um, in that, like, you have this character who is relatively normal but has his own personality, and by banging him up against all the other weird stuff, that's where most of the humor and drama comes from. Yep. Yep. Uh, so before we talk about Kiwami 2, I did want to give a little bit of an update on Yakuza 0. That was, uh, I, I uh, reviewed the PC port version, and whoo boy, that PC port was in some, um, some really bad shape when it first came out. Um, mm -hmm. Which was kind of bewildering to me, and I, I know that it's always like your mileage may vary when it comes to PC gaming, but when everybody is complaining about a save bug, like, oh, the game is not saving properly, and that's a common complaint that took three patches to fix, I kind of had a hard time with a lot of news outlets and, and review sites being like, oh yeah, the port's great. I'm like, did you, did you lose three hours of progress? Because I certainly did. And I can recreate it over and over again, and my weapons turned into salads. Like it, it was uh, oof, working man, as intended. Uh, it is, it is much better now. Uh, the game actually uh, loads and quits properly, and seems to be saving properly. So they, they are putting time into it. And granted, they were taking a game that was originally designed for PS3, uh, then came out on PS4 at the same time. It was a cross-platform game, and then bringing it to PC. Uh, I mean that. That is something that should be applauded, but that version was in really, really bad shape, and now I would say Yakuza 0 is almost there. It's still got some quirks and some problems, but the PC version is uh, much, much better. Uh, Yakuza Kiwami 2 ended up surprisingly being my favorite Yakuza game so far. Uh, it runs on the Yakuza 6 Dragon Engine, so very mm -hmm. uh, physics-based combat, not nearly as arcade -y. Uh, but it brings all of the good from Yakuza 6, which was, uh, I, I preferred that fighting system. I know some people will say I'm crazy, but, uh, the Yakuza games have always been good and bad about fighting. And I think Yakuza 6 was more bad than good. Uh, and all the interlocking systems of like, oh, you have five different types of experience points and eating gives you this style and, and playing in the batting cages gives you this style of XP and they all funnel into making Kiryu stronger. All that really, really good stuff from Yakuza 6 with a better story. I think Yakuza 6's story could have been a little bit better. Uh, Yakuza Kiwami 2, which is a remake of Yakuza 2, gives us an absolutely fantastic antagonist in Ryuji. And when I was playing it, I was like, okay, so every Yakuza game should have a big antagonist for Kiryu to play off of. And it's, it's the blonde guy. Yeah, the blonde guy, the big blonde guy who, who they gave him kind of a a southernish accent in his dialogue to distinguish that he's kind of a country bumpkin in a lot of ways compared to Kiryu. They they kind of uh, I, I think you guys could speak to this better than I could. Uh, they kind of constantly talk about how uh, Soten Bori is kind of the sticks compared to Kamarocho. Like it, it's it. it it's weird, and, and as somebody who doesn't know enough about Japan to really understand all that, it, it played off a little weird in the dialogue, but I got what they were going for. Like, this dude's a little bit more brash, he's a little bit more, like, it, it's like a, a, a South Carolina mobster versus a Boston mobster, if that makes sense. Yeah, the one from Boston is competent, the one from South Carolina doesn't exist. Well, you're allowed to say that, you're from South Carolina. Uh, <laughs> Technically, I'm it, from Boston. 
I did not know that, and I and I learned something today. Uh, but Kiwami, Massachusetts, you knew that. I actually did not know that. I learn something new about you every day. Um, I think Kiwami 2 benefits from having a really good story, uh, a really good antagonist. Um, it has a little bit of fat in the middle, but not nearly as much as the original Yakuza or Yakuza Kiwami, the remake. Um, and I think Steven will probably be able to speak to this as he plays more Yakuza 0. Yakuza 0 is a lot of Yakuza, and it has some some major pacing issues where I don't think Kiwami 2 has that problem at all. Yeah, I, you know, I've only played a couple of hours of Yakuza 0, um, and I already think there's too much Yakuza. Like, I know yeah. all the Yakuza fans would be mad at me because, like, it's great that we're getting them all, and they're all incredibly well localized because of that team rocks. Um, this is too much. Like, there's too many games. Like, I can't play four 900-hour Yakuza JRPGs in a year, <laughs> much less in, like, the six-month period they've come out in or whatever. I, I, it, it, it feels like they all came out at once. And Fist of the North Star right around the corner. But uh, Yakuza I don't know what Z that is, but yeah. I mean, I know uh, it's an anime, but like... Uh, Yakuza 0 kind of suffered from... Like, I like the two protagonists, but going back and forth between their stories was kind of jarring. There were there were downtime moments. I don't like the way that, that upgrade system worked, where, like, if you do not engage in the two main minigames in that game, at a certain point, you just can't upgrade your characters anymore. So they kind of force you to take part in the hostess minigame and the real estate, which is fun, and I'm glad that I, I took the time to do them. But I think forcing the player to do it was kind of weird, and Yakuza Kiwami 2 gets around that. Uh, I, I just felt like Yakuza Kiwami 2 had the best of everything. It, it All the systems worked really well together. The combat, they decided to kind of put a bullet on a uh, excuse me, put a band-aid on a bullet wound because now you can just bring weapons into combat, which you couldn't do in Yakuza 6, and it trivializes most of the encounters. Like, almost every major boss encounter in that game that I know would have had me throwing the controller against the wall, I just whipped out a wooden katana and, like, just downed the enemy in, like, three attacks. Okay. And I... I felt like that was deserved at this point because the Yakuza boss battles um, oscillate between fairly good if too hard to dear christ this is the worst encounter i've played in my life and i don't want to play this game anymore like where you're fighting enemies that just ignore your attacks and behave incoherently and break rules uh there's a boss fight in yakuza kiwami one derek that i would recommend you never play <laughs> like it, it was the boss or the or makes the game a non-recommendation I, it almost makes the game a non-recommendation. Like it was such a poorly designed boss that it it felt like it it feels like nobody play tested it. Can you, like, uh, can you skip it? No, it it's right at the end of the original Yakuza. It is uh, you versus a big boss and two of his little henchmen, and all of everybody has guns, and we all know how Kiryu reacts whenever he gets shot. Not to undermine you here, Rob, but you also told me that the final that the end of Prey Moon Crash made it not worth playing, and you changed your mind on that. We're so. going to get to Prey in a few minutes. No, it's not that the ending makes it unplayable. It's just I wish someone had warned me about it. We're going to get there. Uh, but Kiwami 2, uh, most of the encounters are really good. There's maybe only a handful of bosses that I thought were, were kind of cheap. Uh, but then I just whipped out a... I was like, oh, you're going to use a weapon? Well, I guess I'll use a weapon and knock you, knock your damn teeth in. But I did fight the final boss of the game with my fists, and it was incredibly satisfying. So in terms of Yakuza games, you've had Zero, Kiwami 6, and Kiwami 2. 
I enjoyed Kiwami 2 the most. It felt like the most fully featured Yakuza game without having too much padding. Uh, but I think all four of those games are fantastic in their own way, with the exception of Kiwami. I, I have a hard time recommending that. The only downside with Kiwami 2 is you need to have played the original game to understand what the hell's going on. It is like the second season of The Wire. Like, you should know these characters. You should know all of their interactions. You should know, like, the big players in the series. If you jump into Kiwami 2, I think you're going to be really lost. And yeah, whereas Zero is a fan, Zero or Kiwami One are both great starting points because yes. one is like a prequel that came out later. Yeah, um, and, and Kiwami's a remake of One. So yep, and and uh, Kiwami they put some new cutscenes in that flesh out the main antagonist of Kiwami One, which is really cool, especially after you played Zero. But like Kiwami Two is just like this is the season premiere of the second season of Yas of Yakuza. You should probably know what's going on. So like, there is a recap video in Kiwami Two, but I think you you might want to go onto YouTube or read some wikis to kind of to feel the full story. Uh, Yakuza Kiwami Two was fantastic. Very very highly recommended. Kind of a shame that it came out right the week before Dragon Quest Eleven because I think everybody kind of forgot about it. But it is uh, it is fantastic and totally worth it. Well, I mean, also what else came out the week of Dragon Quest Eleven? Uh, Zone of the Enders, the second runner Mars, which I yep. have no idea. Starring Dingo, Dingo Egret. What a name! What and a Ellie, name! And Ellie from Xenogears, as Caitlin pointed out earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, right? Yeah. So timing may have been a factor there, but I know that there's kind of like a diehard cult following of Yakuza at this point, so I'm sure a lot of those people picked it up. Yeah, and people went nuts for uh, Yakuza Zero on PC. That there was a listing about Yakuza. No, it was a conference call for Sega where they talked about bringing Six to PC. Uh, Kiwami's around the corner on PC. I think that like Sega has realized, wow, we have this great localization team that can bang out these Yakuza games very quickly and and do a really good job. That's the other piece. And then there's like this PC community that's really interested in them. So it's there's kind of never been a better time to be a Yakuza fan. And then the right. Fist of the North Star, their uh their Yakuza version of the classic anime comes out in October, and that looks like a barrel of fun. Uh yeah, yeah. You're already drunk. So, uh, yeah, like full disclosure, I know most of the Yakuza localization team. So this might be so a bit self. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> like, this might be self-aggrandizing. Well, not self them aggrandizing, uh, but they're all phenomenally talented and like really dedicated to like they really love Yakuza. I mean, and all the projects they work on. Um, but like, it's very clear you can follow. You should follow them on Twitter. They talk a lot about the process of working on Yakuza and like memories of it and like, th like how they got around certain challenges. Um, and it's a really good look at how you, cause Yakuza is a very distinctly Japanese game. And like, I very, I hesitate to say that because there's so much tendency in the industry and in culture in general to be like, Japan is so mysterious and inscrutable and full of culture, like Japanese culture. And it's, it's a place it's, it's perfectly normal. Um, so I, I hesitate to say that about a game, but Yakuza is a game that is very steeped in a Japanese cultural moment or several Japanese cultural moments um, yeah. and tra and transitioning that to an audience that is not going to be familiar with like, you know, for example, like the 1980s in Japan and like the bubble economy, like they might know about it, but there are a lot of like particulars that in the way you wouldn't expect somebody to know like 1990s history in the United States very specifically if they weren't from the United States or weren't like, you know, a scholar of it. Um, you, you would miss that. And so they've done a really great job of 
making that accessible while not taking away from the uniqueness of it. And I think the best example to me is the way they've basically wrote a bunch of tutorials on how to play Mahjong, because Mahjong is, you know, nothing more needs to be said about that. It's complicated. Um, and I think, you know, people have learned how to play it from the Yakuza tutorials. Right. Uh, so TLDR, they're great. Support them yeah, follow them on Twitter. If you want to follow any of them, there's uh, Scott Stritchert is kind of like the head, and then there's John Riesenbach and uh, Sam Mullen, and you can probably just Google their names and or you know Twitter with them, and you can find them. And I think most of them are just public Twitter, so you can follow them. So yeah, uh, good folks who do good work, and I'm sure there are more people that I didn't name um, who I I'm forgetting, but yeah, check them out. Yeah. So I'm glad you enjoyed Yakuza Kiwami too, Rob. Yeah, and they're going to do remakes on the PS4 for 3, 4, and 5. Uh, 3, I believe, just came out in Japan. Uh, and since those games are already localized, I, I think it's just a matter of time before we get those PS4 remakes over here uh, I, in the West. I, I do know they, uh, they, they've changed a lot since the original localizations. I don't oh, remember cool. when the current team started working on them, but like they don't just... Um, like oh, I wasn't implying that. I was just saying like you have a baseline. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I mean? I'm sure it's like, just a matter base. of time. But yeah, yeah. like you know, the, the, it's not a, a case of like you know they're porting things over and you know just not changing anything. Um, but yeah. yeah, no, it you know there is, excuse me, precedent. Yep, yes. I'm excited for more of them. I I need a break. I I do feel like I'm a little yakuza out right now. I have uh, I mean, so I, have, I haven't even I, I, beaten any of them. I've beaten up a lot of people in Camarocho. I uh, my, my 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 fists are a little bloody and bruised, and I I need to I need to take a break. Well, then why don't you leave Camarocho and go to the moon? Oh Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> Who wrote the moon rules on my car with a key? <laughs> uh, do you want it done faster, or do you want it done right? <laughs> I hope the quad they can laser. See... The bullet is enormous. I hope they can see this because I'm doing it as hard as I can. Dodging is useless. <laughs> oh my god! And all the kids listening to the podcast went, "What the hell are they talking about?" <laughs> I just had a stroke. I think. <laughs> yeah, Rob. What watching that show was like to be honest. We, yeah, no. Maybe really... maybe don't play this episode for your students. No, it's uh, it, it, of watching Aqua Teen. You can only watch like one episode or two, and then it's like, okay, I've had enough of this. You uh, start no. to feel dirty. Yeah, uh, so Prey Moon Crash, uh, which was the, uh, we all kind of knew that the uh, Arcane was teasing uh, some Prey DLC leading into E3, and they, they kind of teased it for four months, which I wouldn't have done that. Uh, at one point, everyone was like, oh yeah, it's coming out in March, and that was like the beginning teaser for whatever the hell they were doing. Uh, so then they announced it during their E3 showcase and released it that night, and Moon Crash is a uh, downloadable uh, piece of content for Prey. And it is a rogue light immersive sim. So you are uh, confined to the moon, uh, a base on the moon, and uh, it's it's not nearly as large as the base game of Prey. It's not it's not as big as the Talos One Station, but you have one of five characters, I believe, each with their own unique skill sets. So like one character is very very good with psi powers. One character is kind of your hacker. One character is your big meat shield combat dude. And your task is to get these five characters off of the moon base in a single run. Now, where the roguelite element comes in is that certain hazards change based on each starting run. So you start up the simulation, and maybe this one area has high radiation. So that is now a whole new list of problems that you need to face if you go into that area. Maybe this other area doesn't have power. 
So you need to make a detour to the center of the station and you need to get these control modules, which are very rare, and you need to bring these over to the central area to repower that station. There are five different ways of escaping from the station, hence your main objective of trying to get all five people off the station in a single run. And all of these systems are interlinked in that really clever immersive sim way of like okay i need to get into this room maybe there's a vent for me to get into and i can get into the room this way or ooh, i can hack the door this way but now with those new hazards in place it makes it so that every run of the game feels unique i love deus ex i loved prey but whenever i play those games again i have a tendency to go back to my original style of play like well this worked when i played it the first time I'm now going to do it again when I play the game again. So the replay value is there, but it it's kind of not forcing me to think outside the box. Well, now I'm playing as a character that can't hack the door. So I need to think of a new way of getting in there. And that just opened up new possibilities. And this piece of DLC actually ended up being my favorite game of the summer. I played it for like 15 hours until I got to the end credits. Uh, there's little pieces of story for each one of the characters, like a main mission objective that you, you use to flesh out the station and learn things. Uh, when you unlock uh, the different powers, they remain constant on your character in the same way that like in Rogue Legacy, when you upgraded your health pool, you always had an upgraded health pool in every subsequent one run. Um, that takes a little bit of the difficulty out of the game. Like the game is stupid hard when you first start playing it. Like it's super dangerous. It almost feels like a survival horror game. Like you're, you're like carefully like, Oh God, I don't want to use the shotgun right now. Like I'm totally worried. I'm going to need it later. And that's kind of where I think the game was at its best. And as you unlock powers, you kind of, you don't become a God, but you become much more powerful, much more capable. But in the background, there is a timer that is slowly increasing that ups the damage and level of all of the uh, enemies should you take too long. So it's, it's this really good push-pull of immersive sim, roguelite, a little bit of survival horror management. It just ended up being this amazing experience that I think I ended up liking more than the base game of Prey. Yeah. Oh, wow. It sounds it, more compelling to coming me. Coming from you because you loved... Basically. I I really enjoyed Prey. Uh, the last ten percent of that game, notwithstanding, where everything kind of came off the rails, and uh, the the one guy Raphael and I cannot pronounce his last name. The director of Prey actually apologized for that in a Kotaku podcast. He's like, "Yeah, we didn't play test the end of that game very well. Sorry about that." Um, I really liked Prey, but this this was so much more compelling. Because say, I, Rob doesn't like the end of any game. That is, <laughs> that is that is not true. I oh no wait I don't like the end of Final Fan. No, I like the end of Final Fantasy IX. I'll be nice to you. I like the end of Final Fantasy IX. Uh, I I want to be your canary, Stephen. Uh, <laughs> come on, that was pretty good. Get right? down on one knee. Where's the ring? No, it was funny, it. but I was putting water. Uh, I was filling a cup of water, so I had to mute it and I couldn't <laughs> respond to you. Okay, okay. It was just the the silence was deafening. No, I I think it was more compelling because there was always that level of danger, and it ended up making me think like, okay, I got this participant out with this escape route. How am I going to get this one out of here, knowing what I know about this current build of the station? And so I was like, actually pausing the game and like sitting down and writing down in a notebook. Okay, I need to go over here. I need to make sure I get this food because I need this for this escape route and oh crap there's no power in this area how am i going to get through this it, it was a really special experience um that said the game does one thing exceptionally stupidly 
which drove me absolutely nuts. So there is an overarching story. And once you complete every objective in your quest log, the game throws you into a finale cutscene and auto saves right before it. And the game only has one save slot. So I was looking forward to like exploring the station without having to worry about any of the objectives. Cause I'm like, Oh, I've beaten the game fully. I can just walk around the station now. And if I die, it's no big deal, but I actually have like a completed save game. And if I ever want to play moon crash again, I'm just going to have to restart the whole thing. Mm. That was arcane has had this problem with new game plus in all of their games, like the original Dishonored didn't have New Game Plus. Dishonored 2, they eventually patched it in like six months later. Prey, it took over a year for it to get New Game Plus. So I don't I don't know who it is at Arcane that I need to hit upside the head with a phone book. But like this is one of those like I absolutely loved this game and I was really looking forward to like now exploring the station and and seeing all those side stories that because there was a timer in the background i was really nervous about exploring it almost feels like it was a punishment like i beat the game and now i'm punished and if i ever want to do all that stuff i have to completely restart and that means re-getting all my ar- upgrades re-getting all the the blueprints in the game that's well, because- a l- you're playing the specially tailored Rob Steinman edition where they do punish you and only you. Apparently. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, nobody. Just like, like his version of Dragon Quest. There's, yeah. like, only one complaint about it on the Bethesda forum. So, apparently, I'm like, me and this other dude were the only ones to beat this game and run into this problem. Like, it, it's, it's a real shame because I think overall, in terms of immersive sims, it shows a really cool future for the genre the way that uh if you remember mankind divided had that uh that ripper thing like the god what were those things called those little mini missions in like the the super cg world the the, like augmented or not augmented reality but like the fake vr in game VR thing which wasn't called ripper something yeah that the the, you that the people i think were rippers the 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 hackers yeah Breach, Breach yes. was what it was called. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Which also, strangely enough, had the best control scheme in the game. And I don't know why they didn't just make that the default control scheme, but whatever. <laughs> um, but Breach never really did it for me in the same way that Moon Crash did because it felt so artificial. Whereas this feels like a living, breathing, immersive sim that rechange that changes up some variables um, from now and then. Also, there's a Tremors reference in in this piece of DLC, and that's like that's a love letter to me and my wife because we love those movies. Well, we love that movie. The rest of the Tremor series sucks, but like there's a giant moon shark uh, typhon wandering around the main hub area, and like you have to jump from rock to rock because <laughs> if you land on it, it will like burrow out of the ground and try to eat you and it's like this super dangerous enemy that was awesome and they reference it they're like yeah it's like from that movie from the 90s with kevin bacon and i'm like yeah i know what you're talking about awesome uh, it, it's a really awesome piece of dlc caitlin i know you liked prey and i i think uh-huh. you would love this okay so i have some questions yeah no i i want to answer questions i don't want to just talk for 20 minutes yeah okay. are you the prey or are the enemies the prey no <laughs> we're praying for the enemies steven <laughs> Pray thoughts, for the thoughts no, and that's pray. A different game. That's, that's a different game. Um, so, okay, just to clarify, is this the yeah. same station from the main game, or is this a totally different new environment? No, this is a totally new environment. It's you. It has its own look and its own feel. Okay, and is it 
Is it comparable in size? No, no, no. It's much smaller, uh, but it's also much more intimate, if that makes sense. Like, I think um, I I replayed all of Prey right before I played through Moon Crash. I did a new game plus route. And I, I would say, like, two-thirds of the environments of Talos 1 are really, really good. And then there's maybe one-third that's kind of eh. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is like the whole thing is brilliantly realized. And because it's so dangerous, it starts to feel like the Spencer Mansion from Resident Evil, where it's like, I know this hallway, and I know where I need to go, but you've chained, you've changed up some variables, and that's what makes it really, really cool. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then my other question is so you're going through this multiple times trying to figure out how to get everyone out how long on average would you say an attempt is in terms of game like not very long at all very bite-sized like maybe 20 30 minutes um oh, wow getting, getting all five out is it only maybe took me an hour and a half to do it like a dedicated i'm going to get all five of these people out but that was after lots and lots of attempts like well over 10 hours of gameplay of me like finding blueprints that then you can use at the start of a run to print new weapons uh they have a tiered system there so like you'll get a better version of the shotgun that does like uh fire damage so a little bit more oh. rpg mechanics there uh and then also upgrading uh your your psychic abilities and your your overall abilities those remain as well so when you have hacking one and on a specific character you're not going to be able to get through as much of the station so you're taking things a lot uh, a lot slower but then by the time you get you know hacking three that opens up a lot more uh environment and that'll make it maybe faster for you to get to your objective that sounds really cool it's really really it is hard as hell at the start though like, the game outright kills you the first time you load it up, <laughs> and then after that, like, you're playing as a very, um, as a very psychic-based character, uh, with a very low health pool, but super powerful psychic abilities that you haven't unlocked yet. So it, it plays into that. I, I played the Resident Re Evil remake again over the summer because I'm an idiot and I love that game. And that's how I felt. Like I felt so good. Super, it's so good. I felt so weak at the start of the game, but I really liked it for that reason. And it made every upgrade feel super valuable after that. Okay. And then I guess my, my last question is how does this at all play into the story and the twist, which we won't talk about? But... I don't want to give it away, but there's a really there's some really cool implications. Um, they didn't bring back the same voice actor who played your brother, which was super jarring. Like he's oh. he's in the game, but they they weren't going to pay him the big bucks to uh, bring him back. But there are there are story bits connected to the main game of Prey. Uh, and then there's an ending which kind of has me wondering where they're going to go with the franchise next. Um, I think if this mode had been included with the game, the review scores would have been significantly higher. Like, th this is a mode that's like, holy crap, this is fantastic. Cool. It's really good. It, it was secretly like, it was secretly like the the best game I played this summer and no one really talked about it. Now that said, if you don't like roguelikes, if you don't like replaying parts of the game over and over again, and it's, it's not a roguelike like Sheer and the Wanderer or anything like that. But if you don't like sort of being in the same environment and having like little variables here and there, 
it's not going to win you over. But if you like immersive Sims and you like constantly being met, like one time, oh my, I, I have to tell the story. So I, I was going to escape using the escape pod, which is like the easiest way to do it. But when I checked a computer, it said the escape pod needed a uh, navigation chip. And I was like, okay, I need to locate a navigation chip. So I had to go all the way to the other side of the moon base to get the navigation chip. This whole time, the timer is running. The enemies are getting more and more powerful. So it goes from I'm fairly competent and I can survive to holy crap, they're going to murder me as soon as they see me. <laughs> I get the navigation chip. I get over to the one place that has the escape pod. The power's out. <laughs> So I, I'm like, okay, I just need to make it to the escape pod. So I'm like moving my way through this environment. I can't open any of the doors and I don't have the strength to open them manually. So I had to like use the glue gun, make a, a stairwell up to a vent. And like I get all the way up to the vent and I get in through the room and I get into the main area that has the escape pod. And there's like a big giant enemy in there and I managed to kill it just barely. I got like 10% health. I get up to the escape pod. I put the navigation chip in. And then I realize, well, the escape pod's not going to run because there's no power in this room. <laughs> and if you've ever watched the Night of the Living Dead remake from the 90s, where the guy finds the keys to the car just as he's starting to die, and like the candle in the room slowly starts to go out, and he's just laughing to himself, that's what happened to me as the enemies started coming for me. And I just started <laughs> laughing because I was like, I'm an idiot. And I could have escaped had I powered this room, but I didn't. And <laughs> He's a physics teacher, people. Yeah, I am. And sweet death came for me, and I was laughing the whole time. Like, it was just this really awesome piece of storytelling that came because of the immersive sim nature of the game. So the, the enemies are, like, actively hunting you? Throughout? Well, like, so when they, uh, when the timer, so the timer is based on levels, and so, like, when I got to that escape pod, I was just starting to get to, like, level three on the enemies. And so now they are just stupid powerful, and they all regenerate at that point. Oh. So, so now instead of fighting, like, you know, basic mimics, like, oh, no, now there's, like, really dangerous stuff all over the place. And I, I couldn't leave. Like, I couldn't get out of that room. Like, I had no health. And so I just looked around, and I was like, YOLO, and I just got killed. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome it was wow. so and this was like an hour this was an hour of me like painstakingly doing this and then just staring at the game like oh you bastards oh you complete bastards but like a, like a good i mean like I it was that could be frustrating it for was some people. but it, it actually felt really good it felt deserved it felt deserved like well of course the escape pod's not going to do anything the power's out steinman <laughs> like it it was awesome it's it's a really uh, uh, derek i think you would really dig this hey, because it, it's a super intimate experience and i think it it shows something that we could do with the immersive sim going forward all right well, i guess on that point do you need the base game to play this i think you do I think not, not that do. that's a bad thing. Yeah, you do. Prey is a great game, and you should play it. But uh, I should okay. play it. I should play it. The DLC because once again through Steam sharing, I have Rob's copy of it. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, I, I just refused to buy it on PS4 as a thing because I I played the PS4 version briefly, and I uh, I think I played the demo. And the controls just like turned me off so much. They they did a much better job with the controls, and they finally fixed the controller input problems on the PC version. It only took them a year. Ugh. I just don't like. 
I don't want to play a first-person game with a controller, period. I think if it... So I've always gone back and forth on this. If it's a very heavy shooting game based around accuracy, I obviously want to use a mouse. But if it's like a stealth game, like a Dishonored or a Deus Ex, I'm actually okay with using a controller because I like the analog sense of movement. Like in Deus Ex, I'm never shooting somebody. Like I'm, I'm sneaking up behind them and I'm, I'm choking them out. So like I want that like the ability to vary to to uh have my movement based on my controller input mm-hmm. if that makes sense but i i hear it you does, like, but yeah i just don't i don't know i guess it's personal preference just can't it's yeah. like me and uh touch controls um or virtual yeah. buttons rather yeah. virtual buttons i never want them i don't care yeah. i just don't want them hate them hate sorry em. not hate sorry em. really just but pray Praise really good, man. Moon Crash was absolutely phenomenal. I hope, I hope Arcane continues to make immersive sims. They talked about multiplayer stuff, and I was like, no, no, yeah, no. I'd just try. hire some, hire some writers and and make more immersive sims because your writing is good-ish and needs to be better. <laughs> well, it sounds like they at least that like is the, a glowing endorsement, right? I, I, I think. I think Prey plays around with some really interesting ideas, but doesn't quite stick the landing. I think Moon Crash is better in that regard because it doesn't it doesn't aspire to be anything meaningful. It's just a fun immersive sim. Yeah, I was gonna say at least it sounds like they changed the the sort of like base structure of the gameplay enough to make it interesting and compelling. Yeah, it's it's it's. I I wish I really wish more people played it. I get why they did the whole like E three surprise launch, but I think the game got completely drowned out in all the craziness of E three. Oh yeah, I forgot this existed until you brought it up today. So yep, it's great. Good. Well, I'd like to toss the mic over to Steven for at least one game. I want to hear about his experience playing Divinity Original Sin 2, because uh, yeah. I... Okay, shut up. <laughs> I seriously you. cannot... I, I cannot distinguish Divinity Original Sin from Pillars of Eternity. In my mind, really? they're the same game. Yeah, I just... Wow. Like, I know I'm... that they're... But they're, like I haven't looked too much into either one. It's just that when I hear the title of one of those, I'm like, which one is that? Because they're both basically isometric Western RPGs made in like a classic mold. Pillars of Eternity way more so than um, Divinity, because I know Divinity has like tactical combat, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, it has tactical combat, and like you know, Divinity is not. It's like sort of isometric, but like it has a movable camera. Like whereas Pillars is like pre-rendered backgrounds um, that are pretty. Um, uh, my my editor asked me about these two, like two games the other day too because he wanted to play one of them and he wasn't sure which one he'd like better. And like, I'm sure Rob would agree with this. Pillars of Eternity is very traditional. Um, if, yeah. you lo- if, yes. if you like the Baldur's Gate style, Pillars of Eternity is Baldur's Gate with modern conveniences. Like it's faster, um, controls are a little less fiddly, uh, the interface is less obtuse. Um, and there are a lot of like concessions made with a mind for how modern tabletop games now are less rigid in terms of their rule sets and you know basically to make it so you're not just you know in Baldur's Gate you could end up in a situation with with a lot of um like with mages and stuff where it's like oh I have no spells all I can do is whack people with a stick that I miss with all the time uh that doesn't happen in Pillars and especially in Pillars 2 because of how they've built the classes um the setting and story in Pillars are also very Forgotten Realms, Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I th- I really enjoyed it, but I think it's it's less exciting than Divinity. 
Okay, I was going to um, say, do you think one uh, or the other, would you say that Pillars has like a stronger narrative focus? Um, I would say Pillars has a more focused narrative. Okay. Because Pillars is more linear. It's not completely linear, but like there is a distinct, these are the quests you do. They have, you know, three outcomes. Um, you know, it, it's more, it, it's almost more like a JRPG in that like there is a very clear place you're being funneled to. Uh, and there's a clear way that that situation is going to end. Divinity, and especially Divinity 2, especially having just beaten it, you know, it's incredibly open-ended in terms of, like, there are, like, you know, 50 ways a quest can end. And some of them are actually, it's very much like playing tabletop, where sometimes a quest can end and it's kind of unsatisfying. It's like, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, the person you were trying to help got murdered off screen and this quest is over. Um, yeah. And, you know, you can get to the finale and, like, you know, people that you've interacted with in the finale will show up. Um, and you know, some of them can be missing and it's not in a like mass effecty kind of way where it's clear they had to very systemically design to be like, yes, is the, is the one or is the one or the zero flipped here for whether or not this character's there. And did you help them or were you mean to them? Like it's much more dynamic in terms of how you interact with people. And it plays a lot more like a tabletop game in that, like the choices you make maybe won't affect the ultimate outcome of the universe. Although you do get to make choices to that regard too. Um, but it's more like crafting an experience that's around your choices on that more micro level of, yeah, you know, like I helped this character and, but I helped them in this certain way. Like, you know, they wanted me to get them a knife, but I got them a spoon and taught them to be a chef. And then they showed up later and they were a chef, but then the friends <laughs> they made being a chef showed up too, you know? So it's very reactive to that. Basically divinity is more about never saying no to whatever way you want to warp the system. Whereas Pillars is more like, this is a Baldur's Gate style RPG where you can choose to be mean, you can choose to be nice, or you can choose to be wacky. Um, you know, it's, there's a little more depth to it in Pillars. I don't want to sell Pillars short. Um, I personally, as a game, vastly prefer Divinity. A, because the co-op is phenomenal. Um, and because of the combat. And that comes into the skill system. It's very, very open-ended. Um, so it's turn-based, whereas Pillars is running on a turn-based system but in real time so like your character you know if you have this much initiative you get this many actions per cycle um and so there's a lot of pausing so yeah um it's some people find that kind of jarring it's very it can be very strategic but it's also kind of see to your pantsy in pillars and i like i like it so i stress i'm not saying this necessarily as a criticism pillars is very like i paused and i selected my party and i had them all attack that guy or I paused and I selected my party and I had them all use their special attack on that guy. Um, whereas Divinity is much more like, if you think of like Fallout with a party, old Fallout, where it's like, it's my turn. I have six AP, my skills cost two, my skills cost three. Moving costs, you know, it's based, you know, you, so it's much more like, you know, which of my cool skills can I use in this turn? And like, as a co-op game, there's so much working with your teammate. Cause like, you know, for example, I played with Miyoko, my partner. She played a polymorphing thief and a giant tank broadsword lady. And I played an archer and a wizard who can, like, move people around the battlefield and use a lot of elements. So, like, there was a lot of, like, okay, with her heavy character, she, she can break this character's armor. And then now the character's armor is broken, so I can turn them, you know, I can teleport them somewhere else away from the fight. Or, you know, I can break magical armor. So I break the magical armor and then she has a polymorph move that turns them into a chicken. So like, there's a lot of like, and then like 
the elements interact. So like if you have an earth wizard who like leaves, you know, or an earth warrior who leaves oil on the ground, if you shoot fire at oil, it blows up. But if people walk on the oil, they get slowed and they trip. Um, and so basically they take these core elemental systems and the way you interact with them is what sort of creates your combat strategy. So there's a lot of really neat stuff of like, oh yeah, I made a, a wall out of oily vines, you know, in this building and the enemies couldn't get to me. So they just straight up couldn't get to me. And then at the end of the wall, I shot fire at it and it blew up and damaged the enemy. Um, so it's, it's very like physics based and very like, managing a limited pool of resources honestly this is going to sound like a weird pandery reference it's like when you have the special meter in skies of arcadia um where every mm -hmm. character you know you have so much ap per turn and that's a really finite resource but like making good use of your ap and all your skills because there are lots of skills um because every you're not bound by like a class you can kind of like learn whatever you want um you know, there's a lot of like, okay, in this turn I have six AP. So first I'm going to buff myself, then I'm going to try to break that character's armor, and then I'm going to move them to set them up for my next character's attack. And it's like Final Fantasy X where it has the turn order. Um, so like, you know, you can try to knock an enemy down before their turn. And, you know, there's a lot of like you managing the battlefield. It's not just like running and whack everybody. Um, and it's pretty challenging, I would say. Even on the, even on the core difficulty... Uh, which now there's an easier story story difficulty mode, which I actually think is a great addition. Um, and I don't say this to dunk on Rob. I say this legitimately. Uh, you might enjoy it on the story difficulty uh, yeah, because it's I actually still, it's still challenging, but like on, for example, in the main game, your, your resurrection scrolls are, they're not finite, but like they are a, a resource. So like death can be pretty big. Um, until later in the game when, you know, you can buy a lot of them. Whereas in the story mode, your characters all just learn a skill, an infinite use skill that lets them revive people. So uh, okay. I, can I can I jump in real quick? Yeah, you know, so, I, so I, 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 no, no, no. And I, and I definitely I, I know Steven's not dunking me on uh, dunking on me with this game. Um, it's a very hard game. Yeah, with Divinity Original Sin 1, uh, Steven and I played it together at E3 when they were doing their Enhanced Edition, and we had a really awesome time with the developers, and we were playing, like, the couch co-op, and then we played a few times online, but, you know, when you're an adult and you both have jobs, finding time is incredibly difficult. Um, and, like, I, I think it's awesome that Steven was able to play with Miyoko to play with his partner. Like, that's, that's like, an optimum situation to play this game, like, together, playing it. Um... Every time I have tried one of these Divinity games, they are so bone-crunchingly hard, especially at the beginning, that I just bounced off of them. Like, it's... It, especially with uh, Divinity 1, and I, I think... Divinity 1 is much, much harder in the beginning because right, it's like... like if, you yeah, sorry, <laughs> if you don't fight these, like, certain enemy encounters in the right order, I mean, they're not random, they are fixed on the map... If you do not fight them in the right order, you will not level up properly to the point where you can easily get by them. Now, there are always ways of getting around things. Like, I've seen videos of people, like, setting up traps outside of combat and, like, okay, I'm going to make this poison area over here or I'm going to light this on fire. So when the combat starts, they're going to move over here. And on the one hand, I love that the game is that open. But on the other hand, it is so fiddly that I'm just, like, I don't want this i want it to be like a tactics ogre or a final fantasy tactics where it's like i'm gonna get into this combat and we're gonna have this combat i don't want to be fiddling 
fiddle effing around with a bunch of things at the start to get the jump on these guys because if I don't do it, I can't beat them. Now, by contrast, I think Steven is one of those people that loves that fiddliness, that loves that level of interactivity. Yeah, I like right? that. Yeah, well, I would say, especially in the first one, you're right. Because, um, like, for example, I think we might have even talked about this back when we were all on the regulars on the show. In the first one, there are, like, nine ways out of town, and eight of them are full of, like, deadly murder zombies that if you stab them with slashing weapons, they bleed poison, which heals them. So, yeah, And at that point, you, you might only have two people who can only wield swords. So it's like, what, what do I do? I can't shoot fire. Um, the second mm-hmm. game is way better about that. Um, the first game, I think, is a lot of fun and well worth playing. It's just the the curve is very brutal. Um, and I think it's better with the enhanced edition of the first one. But the second one, and especially now with the enhanced edition, because now there's like an entirely new tutorial. Like, it's a narrative tutorial. So, like, it used to be you wake up on a boat, and then all of a sudden the boat gets attacked, and you're like, it's like, it nominally teaches you things. Now there is, like, a new level of the boat, which is optionally skippable, that, like, this is how interacting with things works. And this is the expectations we have for how you can work with a quest. And it's very, it's sort of, it's, it's a well-timed because it's not like, here is a tutorial, walk forward, press A to move. Um, it's very much like we're going to teach you how to play by letting you play, but we're not going to like overwhelm you with stuff. And I think it works really well. It, it's, um, I mean, it's a deep, intense RPG for, I, I mean, it's mind-boggling how how much depth there is to this game, but I do think that Larian, and I, I'm going to give this one a try again at some point, I think Larian has had a hard time figuring out how to bring new people into the fold, like people that did not grow up with these style games, like... Derek, you and I have talked before, and I don't think you grew up with these games. Like, you're very similar to me in that respect, right? Right, yeah, I, I didn't really. The, at most, I played, like, Septeracore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so, like, I walked into the first Divinity, and I just got so slaughtered. And I was like, man, everybody's really talking about how awesome this game is. And I just am getting frustrated and I know I'm doing something wrong, but I don't feel like the game's telling me. And I actually said that to the, to the developers and they said, yes, with the enhanced edition, we're trying to do a better job of that. And it sounds like with each iteration, they are getting better, but it's like that these games are so, it is so much depth, but man, it is like, I think what it comes down to, I think what it comes down to is that there is a tool set you have and they don't always explicitly state all of the elements of that tool set. Cause part of the fun of the game, right. Is learning how the things interact, but it can be overwhelming at the beginning when it's like, <clears throat> like in the first one, like I said, like as a person who beat the first one several times, it took like two playthroughs before I was like, Oh, that's why I can't get past these zombies because when you cut them, they bleed poison. And like, that is sort of like almost player hostile. There's nothing. The second one is way, way more like reined in with that regard, especially because now the first game didn't have armor stats. Like, the first game was just like, yeah, if you have armor, you take less damage. <clears throat> Excuse me. The second game is like Mass Effect, where every character has a has physical armor, magical armor, and then health. And so you put better armor on, your, he- your armor number goes up. And so you know, it's not like the first game where if someone shoots a fireball at you, everyone is on fire and dying and everything is exploding and what's going on? Which is funny in a way, but it's also like, oh God, what am I doing? Whereas in the second one, it's like if you get hit by a fireball and you have magic armor, it's just like, oh, yeah, it hurt my magic armor. It's not like things don't go sideways quite as quickly. And it's more like there's a logic to it. 
that you can figure out. It's like, okay, I'm in this battle. It's a strategy battle. I have to find the, you know, there are enemies that have a lot more physical armor than magic armor. So I'm going to send my mages after the guys with magic, with low magic armor, because then they can deal damage a little faster. Um, but yeah, so I think the problem that they've had in the past is expecting you to make use of the systems before you have grasped the basics of the systems, let alone the advanced things that the systems can do. And I especially think with the enhanced edition of two, <clears throat> they introduce you much better to it. Um, but like, you know, now it's not a case of like, yeah, you have, you need 13 elements to manipulate this battle. It's like, no, okay, this is a fight with like three thieves. And I know I can knock down and I have a fire spell and there's oil on the ground. So like, they'll be like, yeah, that is the situation you're in. And to what you were saying about being fiddly, I definitely think the first one is very fiddly in that like you can really manipulate the conditions of the battle before you go into it. And I did like that. Um, they've maintained that in a way in the second one. Um, they've redesigned a lot of the encounters in the Enhanced Edition. Um, but there's less of the like, we're going to expect you to like move a bunch of oil barrels around before the fight starts. And more of a like, we have set up a curated battle and this is what you're your your challenge will be in the battle you know like for example you walk into like a narrow valley and there are enemies that spawn on the upper sides of you so like figuring out how to get the high ground advantage is the thing in that battle or yeah. you know you fight you know a bunch of oil blobs in a room full of fire and so figuring out the battle is how to keep the oil blobs from getting to the fire and blowing everything up um now you so you said that you said that they uh, they added a new difficulty level with the definitive edition. So yeah. now you have story, explorer, and then classic, and then the tactician, Jesus Christ mode. Yeah, and then uh, honor mode, which is just you know you your save deletes and why why. I'm what? trying to. I'm. I'm right now trying to look up the differences between story and explorer mode because even even explorer mode felt a little too like a skosh too hard. Like th this feels a little unfair. So I'm. I'm like. Do I play this? If I give this another shot, should I go with explorer mode or story mode? I mean, I personally would go with uh, story. You'd mode. go with hardcore classic and delete your save. And no, walk. no. I actually, I've actually the only time I've played like the super hard difficulty mode is in the first one, um, and a little bit in two. Two is much more balanced in terms of difficulty. Um, like the normal difficulty in two is a sufficient challenge for the whole game because of how the game scales. Whereas in the first one, it's very easy to quickly, like it starts out maddeningly difficult and then you level up a bit and you get access to so many abilities that it becomes almost a joke because you can just, you know, you can wipe entire enemy groups out with like two, two well-placed attacks. This one is much more like a gentle curve. Um, it's still difficult. Um, so like I actually haven't felt the need, <clears throat> excuse me, to jump to the super mega difficulty, you know, um, which I think is a good thing um, because like, I like the challenge. Um, so with story difficulty, I actually, I'm trying to pull it up here. Cause I had the uh, like list of what they did to it. Yeah. I'm looking for it too. And I'm like, Where um, is it? <laughs> well, I, I guess this isn't like related at all to your current line of thought, but something that I've just been waiting to ask is uh, the obvious question of it's okay to not play the first one. like narratively. Yeah. I want to know that too. Yeah, uh, it's totally okay. So it, they do that that thing that I like a lot of games. If you play the first one, there are some characters you'll recognize because it's thousands of years later. Um, okay. So there are similar proper nouns. 
there are a couple characters and the, and the future. You know, like the the magical power in the world is called Source. That is a thing in the first game. And if you've played the first game, you'll appreciate certain side quests a little more. But this story is 100% self-contained. All the all the factions you deal with are limited to this game. Um, you know, it's just like occasionally be like, oh, I remember that imp from the first game. Or like, oh, I remember that concept from the first game. But like my partner uh, and I played it and she hadn't played the first one. And, you know, we were able to follow the story. Uh, this one also has much better character stories. Um you know, a lot. Of the, this is this is in the original release too of the second one. But you can either make your own character and give them like narrative tags, like noble, scholar, outlaw, or you can play as one of the party members you can recruit in the game who have their own like elaborate quest lines. And if you want to, you could play with an entire party of four of those characters. You don't have to create a character if you don't want to. Um, and their their stories are actually really good. They all tie well into the main narrative. With the enhanced edition, they've they've updated a couple of those stories to actually make them a little better and tie in even more. Um, and then they rewrote the story of the entire third chapter because the third act, even as someone who played it, I was like, "What the hell's going on?" Because uh, there are a lot of factions in play. They rewrote it to make that much clearer, and by all accounts, it seems to be a lot tighter now, which is good. But yeah, anyway, to answer your question, you do not need to play the first one, and in fact. As much as I love the first one, I would recommend most people just start with two because it's a more balanced game. Um, it's a more comprehensible game. And like I think there actually is... It's worthwhile to go back and play the first one if you end up liking the second one. But no, you don't need to play the first one. Okay. That's, um, that's good to know because I uh, was looking at both this Divinity Original Sin 2 and uh, Pillars of Eternity um, earlier this year. And I started with Pillars of Eternity and I want to I need to get back to that and finish it. But I've been interested in both. And pl- the, the idea of, oh, oh, wow, four games to play through, you know. None of them are short. <laughs> yeah. Like, I want to, but I don't have time. So it's good to hear that you, if you want to, if you're interested, you can just start with the second one. No problem. It's, yeah. It's all- and, and the new console release is good for that. And I would actually say it's funny because Pillars, having played both Pillars games, I don't think you need to play the first one for Pillars, but it's way more like it is a the sequel is a direct continuation. It's you play the same character like mm-hmm. in the old Baldur's Gate games. So I actually think Pillars has a little bit more of a barrier to entry if you haven't played the first one. It, it's kind of weird because I, I felt like with Pillars and Divinity, I was running into the same problem where I felt completely overwhelmed, but I felt it two different ways. Like, Pillars, what happened to me was I was playing it and I was, it was like the third or fourth time I was trying it and it was like, okay, I'm starting to get a a rhythm here. And then when they dropped the first chanter on me and there were like, like 10 different skills and I'm like reading them and I was like, okay, I'm done. Like you just dropped a brand new character class on me, no introduction, no nothing. And now I have no idea how to use this character in combat. Whereas with Divinity, I felt like, like I had a very limited tool set. And so when the game started letting me like upgrade my character, I didn't know which way to go. So it was like Pillars was overwhelming me with too much information, and then Divinity was being like coy. Yeah, I will say Divinity is never going to say like this is what you should do because in a way there really isn't a right answer. Sure, Um, sure. There, there are skills that you want to have. Like you probably want to have a healing skill, Um, but like with divinity especially in 2 because of how the skill system works they're all kind of equally useful at dealing damage in some fashion so you know and because it's very easy to respec like you get past the prologue and then you can respec every element of your character for the rest of the game 
um, at any time you want with no penalty. Um, so there's more of a, like, you should experiment because you might find something you like. You might like being a spear character who can grow wings and jump across the battlefield, which, side note, is awesome. <laughs> um, you know, the polymorph skill tree is great because, like, it polymorph can be something that is, like, your main thing. Like, you turn into a bull and charge into people. Or it can be like, oh, yeah, this gave me, you know, I polymorph my skin into iron and now I'm an awesome tank. Or, like, Miyoko was a... Was a, was a um a thief. So she had a lot of like she could do like a tentacle whip that like disabled enemies' arms so they couldn't wield weapons. And then as a, a thief, she could be around them more safely without getting hit by like, you know, people's like super swords and stuff. Okay. Um It's a game so I, I really want to get into. <laughs> to answer just... your question, by the way, Rob, um so I looked it up. The difficult the new story mode, um, so it gives your whole party a bunch of stat bonuses and Basically, they rebalanced the the defense and vitality stats of enemies, basically to make it so ultimately you are always at an advantage, and that like you can. But it, like it's still it's not like brain like like brick easy, but like the enemies are not going to like hit you and kill you in half of it, and you know almost kill you in one hit. You get the resurrection skill, which means you can revive people at any time, and they give you a talent that is normally costs something where you can flee a fight, any fight in the game you want, if you accidentally run into like a super, like a high level enemy that you can't beat, which in the original game, you needed to have a certain talent to escape fights. Um, okay. Yeah, I well, mean, it sounds like they've done a lot. I mean, just accessibility across the board, right? Yeah, that's, that's, that's their big thing. And I think that's their thing with all their console releases is that like they try to like make it a more friendly game. Like, you know, if you might sit down on the couch with two controllers and play. And it does have great split screen. And that's the way I want to play it too, is if I am going to get it, I feel like I want to grab the, which surprises me because I like the control scheme worries me, but I've heard that they've made it work very well for the PS4 for multiplayer. So, Yeah, I I, I played the first one on console as well. Like I, I, I really liked it. So I played it twice on PC and twice on console. Um, it's a complicated game, right? So like, it's not like you are going to use three buttons and succeed. It's not like a Diablo conversion where like they did that. Um, but it's direct control, so like you move your character with the analog stick, which feels great. Um, but they have added a lot of concessions that make it less like fiddly. Like on the PC version, you know, you hold Alt to highlight objects you can interact with, and you can click on them. On console and on PC, if you plug a controller in, um, you can like hold the X button, and it makes like a circle appear underneath you, and everything that's targetable around you will pop up in a list. So that way you can just like, oh, if there are a bunch of items, I can just grab them all at once. I don't have to like go and check every, you know, body or every chest. Right. Um, and I, I think sure. that, I, you know, I find that they work pretty well. Good. Well, I think I'll probably check out the PS4 version, if anything. Get Play it in co-op if you can. It's super yep. fun. Yeah, I'm sure uh, my boyfriend would be super into that. We played a lot of Diablo co-op on the couch and it was a lot of fun, so... I feel yeah. like that's the way to play that game is co-op. It's it like I, at one point I've I was never like, played single player in any of them. So yeah, I was like, Steven, can you just take control of the other three characters? Cause I already feel overwhelmed with one. Like, <laughs> like that's how, that's how I felt. Cause you're playing four complete characters that you can completely flesh out. And that's like, that's rough on a guy that kind of grew up with JRPGs where, you know, I don't have to assign HP and Dragon Quest. The game does it for me. Like, yeah, I, I mean, it's not like Final Fantasy IV had five characters in your party. Oh. Oh, my gosh. Did you really <laughs> too much put, for Rob. He's did you really just put Divinity on the same level as Final Fantasy IV? Like, no, you you're, you're right. Divinity is... is a much better game. You're right. Wow. Wow. Ooh. Oh, boy. 
Oh boy. That, that never, rub turned into a burn. I've never played Final <laughs> Fantasy before, so I can't speak to it. What? I've never played Final Fantasy before. What? What? Like with Cecil, Cecil the Dark Knight? Why would Why would I play four when I played with six? Seesaw the Dark Knight. Seesaw. Seesaw. Okay, that's that's. Whitakers. I didn't know you hadn't played that. Now who's the Spoonie Bard? Apparently me. Not no, not you. <laughs> okay, well. I'm going to move the topic uh, to one more game that I wanted to discuss today, and I think I'm the only one who's played it, so uh, you just get to hear me ramble for a smidgen of a moment. So Axis Games did a thing where they decided to release three Otome visual novel games. Otome games, if you're not aware, are the ones where you generally play as a girl, and it's like a visual novel wherein you can choose to romance one of uh, a handful of guys as part of the story. Beautiful boys! Yes, so they decided to release... Three of these, of course you don't, released three of these uh, over the course of like three months this summer, and they got basically no press or marketing as far as I'm aware. Um, I knew about them through word of mouth, and just because I follow new releases of games that I may be interested in, they released uh, in the order of, the first one was Psychedelica of the Black Butterfly, which is like a, I guess, is it suspenseful? It's, it's like a mystery game. Yeah, uh, suspense, mystery. Yeah, so you play as a girl who awakens in a mysterious mansion, and she encounters several young men trapped in the same predicament, and they uh, have to hunt these black butterflies and claim kaleidoscope shards from the horrific monsters surrounding them. I'm reading this from the back of the box. So that released in Not like... familiar to me at all. <laughs> right, you wouldn't know, right? Nope. Then the month after or so, they released Seven Scarlet, which is um, another mystery Otome game. Uh, the description on the back of this box says... A year ago, in a mysterious town shaped like the crescent moon, Ichiko's older brother vanished without a trace. Today, she returns, determined to find answers. And then, uh, basically, like she joins the supernatural detective club, and they try to track down her missing brother. And that one released um, after Psychedelica. And then finally, the third one was Psychedelica of the Ashen Hawk, which is, I guess, like a thematic continuation of Black Butterfly. I don't know if it's like a direct sequel or what. It's there are similar thematic elements. Um... But to say too much would be kind of spoilery. Okay, got it. And so that's I, all these games have. So right. So story. I don't. I don't have that one. Um, so I'm not too sure about it. But that was the third to release in the series. And the reason why I bring this up is because I discovered that GameStop, who I dislike patronizing in general, but um, I decided to on this occasion because they had both Black Butterfly and Seven Scarlet like basically on clearance. Um, last copies of each one. They're like twenty bucks a piece for the Vita. And I was like, you know what? I want to support these releases and pick them up. So I did. And I have not tried Psychedelica of the Black Butterfly yet, but I have started playing Seven Scarlet. And the reason why I picked that one first of the two is because it's uh, like a standalone game, whereas Psychedelica, as you said, may have some connections, like Black Butterfly may connect to Ashen Hawks. So I just wanted to kind of like play those back to back if possible. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I started Seven Scarlet. I'm not super far into it, maybe like two and a half hours or so. Um, The first thing that strikes me about this is uh, I think it has really beautiful art, especially the backgrounds are really nice in this game. It takes place in rural Japan, so it evokes a lot of that kind of Persona 4 Inaba vibe. So if you're into seeing uh, like summery Japanese countryside with the sound of cicadas buzzing and all that stuff, then this may kind of evoke that nostalgic feeling for you. Um, yeah, I, I'm not far into it enough to, to talk about, like, where the story goes, because I don't really know yet. Um, so far, all I've done in the game is you start as uh, the protagonist girl, 
who has her childhood friend and they're both like at college together and they decided journey out to the countryside in search of her uh like where her brother was last seen in this little idyllic countryside town and um i've met all of the primary characters all of whom i know you can romance more or less like you can go down a, a story branch that involves them more than the others so you've got a kind of like happy-go-lucky pastry chef guy you've got your very overprotective to the point of it really bothering me childhood friend guy um there is a stoic med student who is very aloof there is a really rude and mean i think he's like the owner of the hotel where she ends up staying and he's kind of a jerk uh but he's got like his you know sundere allure and then there is a geeky kind of like I think he's an otaku, but he's really into cats and like traditional kimono, which is an interesting um, twist on the otaku trope. So uh, the guys are a little bit more, a couple of them are a little bit more masculine, I guess, or like like typically masculine than a lot of otome men are, usually because otome games are oriented at female players. Um, the, the male characters tend to be more like bishonen or like, kind of um, soft. And I like some of the designs of the guys in this game a bit more. Um, they're, I mean, like three of them, I would say. Three of the five that I believe you can romance are uh, like fairly, not, they're not even rugged, but I guess I just say like more than one my type. So whatever. Because <laughs> um, that's something like sometimes I have a disconnect. Like I'm, I like playing Otome games plenty and I like playing um, other games where you romance, where you play as a male romancing female characters. It just, it depends on like the script and the characters and everything, right? So um, there aren't very many games oriented at like male, like gay male uh, players. So there are a couple of them out there, but um, when I play Otome games, that's usually kind of like the closest I can get to being able to romance dudes. So I, I guess I have opinions about the dudes in the game. So <laughs> Um, from what I can tell, the ones in Seven Scarlet are a little bit more to my taste than Psychedelica of the Black Butterfly, but both have um, very nice polished art, and the styles are pretty different too of art in each one, so you may want to check them out if you're interested in mystery visual novels. I've kind of been hankering for a good mystery story recently. Um, my boyfriend picked back up, well, picked up for the first time Danganronpa 2, because he played Danganronpa 1 quite a while back, and uh he was playing it yesterday and I was just like watching over his shoulder uh, and, you know, like internally laughing maniacally because of his reactions to some of these characters, like knowing what happens and him being confused. And he's like, why are they on an Island? What the hell is going on? And just me like, you'll see. So I, I think maybe part of that inspired me to pick up a, a mystery game. So I would say if you're interested in visual novels with mystery stories or good art, or the Otome sort of playing as a girl dating guy games, look look for them. Um, Psychedelica of the Black Butterfly, Seven Scarlet, and Psychedelica of the Ashen Hawk. All three are on Vita, and uh, they run like 20 to 30 bucks. And I think that as of a couple of days ago, there's a Steam page listing for Psychedelica of the Black Butterfly. So I wouldn't be surprised to see all of these coming to Steam in the near future, because I'm sure they would sell a lot better there. I would think, yeah, PC is a great plat. I mean, Vita being a dead platform, despite what mm -hmm. Vita fans would like to tell you. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's not a bad platform. It's just a dead platform in terms right, of... Right, like, not, just because you like it and there are games released on it, it is a dead platform. Not um, not yet. Not yet. They're totally going to release new Tactics Ogre on it. Uh, that would be awesome. I don't even want that at this point. Wait, no, yeah, I want what? it on the Switch. I want it on the Switch. No, uh, yeah, on that console. I want the game. Uh, okay. Yeah. Also, I, I, I don't know if, like... 
Oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to yell at Derek. I was like, no, we all want Tactics Ogre games. No, we do. We yeah, want Final Fantasy yes. Tactics 2. Yes. Except not hex-based. Yeah, I guess we don't need to disclaim because it's not like we're telling people. But I, I totally worked on Psychedelica, um, so go buy it, I guess. I mean, I don't get any money from it, but, uh, you know, go. That was, that was part of why I wanted to pick it up to support Steven. So, yeah, this isn't like, this is not in any way like a paid endorsement that's sketchy or whatever. Um, I just knew that he had worked on it. And uh, I have another friend who worked on, uh, who Stephen knows as well, who worked on Seven Scarlet. So. Yes, uh, she and I worked on Bad Apple Wars together, which you should also pick up. It has the most uh, beautiful boys. Uh, yes, I reviewed that way, one. That's uh, why for... Stephen can buy more games, and that way he fulfills his end of the Steam library. <laughs> right, yeah. True. He bought Nino Kuni too. I can't oh, do that upset. Is it a quit? Yeah. Oh. Oh, oh, every relationship is, Caitlin, especially mm -hmm. mine with Steven. <laughs> well, I'm just glad that you guys uh, benefit from one another. Symbiosis. It is. So, it is. Yeah. We are Venom. We are. Mm -hmm. uh, what did they say in the trailer? Symbiote? Yeah, I don't sure. know what it was, but Peter was making fun of it. And I was like, yeah, that's that's pretty. Yeah, I can do that, too. Well, there's also Tom Hardy's voice, which, strangely enough, now reminds me of Eric from Dragon Quest Eleven. Maybe that's what they were going for. <laughs> Maybe Tom Hardy voice. Really. The Tom Hardy voice in the new Venom movie, like it, it, it now reminds me of Eric, and I can't get that out of my head. Great. Tom Hardy is like engaged in a decade-long endeavor to convince us he wasn't Bane from Batman. <laughs> no, oh, but he totally was, and I like, love him for it. You can come in and be like, "I'm Tom Hardy, and I'm Venom now, and we will not hurt people." And I'm like, "Yes, brother, you will not hurt anyone as Venom." <laughs> it would be very painful. For you, it's it's only Ooh, fitting regular that regular bowel memories are a bitter memory. That you guys would bring back the Bane voice for this reunion episode. Yeah. We do what we can. Yeah. Well, you know what, guys? It's like uh, it's beyond lunchtime at this point. Somebody, I think, Stephen is eating. So nobody wants having, to talk I'm about uh, cyberpunk. Nobody wants to talk about cyberpunk, huh? Can, can I? Okay, I do not want to open up the can of worms, but like, Derek, I, can I just ask? Is it just because everybody's talking about it? Is that like? It's just yeah, been I just think, yeah, I think that the conversation is just kind of tired right now, especially because we've seen a it, it's not a vertical slice. They've said that is from like a build of the game that's fully intact and has everything um, running. I haven't even watched the whole video yet. So for my part, I just feel like I don't have as much to contribute. Um, but yeah, a lot of the conversation surrounding Cyberpunk has been very tired and based on a lot of assumptions. And yep, game, I think like, that's is, fair. Is hardly solidified at this point. So it's just like, shut the F up and wait i'm not saying like don't discuss i'm just saying that like i'm tired of seeing the same points repeated about something that we haven't had hands-on time with necessarily so i think that's fair uh the the only thing that i really had was this uh realization when i was watching it of i think i've only liked one shooting based rpg and that was mass effect two and three which i'm counting as one because they basically played the same way and so you when i follow but but I like Fallout in terms of the VAT system. I hate the actual shooting in those games. It sucks. It, it feels terrible. And like watching the health bars deplete, I, I started getting that like, am I going to get really bored of this the way I got bored of Borderlands, the way I got – I didn't like the combat in Fallout 4. Like I, there's just something – for some reason, just something in the back of my brain does not like watching – a health bar deplete when I shoot somebody in a video game. It fe it it feels weird. It's why I didn't like Destiny. And so when I was watching that demo, I was like, okay, I'm seeing some cool things and I'm kind of digging this, but I know in the back of my brain, I have never really liked this except Mass Effect 2, which for all intents and purposes, Mass Effect 2 and 3 are just uncharted games. 
Like they are. Like mm. you, you hide behind cover and you shoot people in very similar combat to Uncharted, but there's a health bar. On oh, like powers and squad. yeah, but well, I played as a sniper, and so most everything died in one or two hits. So it felt like I was playing just a regular action game most of the time. Okay. Sometimes you play Uncharted Four. I feel like. I feel like that's a hot take for another episode. Oh, sure, sure, sure. But I just, when I watched the Cyberpunk demo, I was just having this, like, I'm seeing cool things, but I think I wanted it to be a little bit more Deus Ex, and it looks a little bit more Mass Effect-y, Borderlands-y, shooty, and I'm not sure if I'm on board with that. I wanted more of an immersive sim, and it it doesn't feel like they're going in that direction. That's fine, but... I wanted a little more Cyberpunk. Yeah, you had a weird take on that, which I want to discuss with you at some point, because I... I I mean, go bring it up. Go ahead. Uh, I mean, it's the sort of the can of worms, but, you know, I, I think uh, without getting too much into it, you know, I like CDPR's games. You know, I love, I like The Witcher 3, I think, better than Rob does. I yep, like The Witcher 2 fair. better than Rob mm-hmm. does. That's I, true I actually, as well. I actually beat The Witcher 1, so like... I, I, I Hey, hey, I beat it. I didn't say I, I enjoyed it. it. I beat it. <laughs> I mean, that one legitimately hasn't aged well, but like, narratively, it's cool. Uh, you know, I, I feel like they are great at systems and like, they are very into pleasing their fan base uh i don't think their social media necessarily reflects that yep we've yeah, um yep yep but i think for me as somebody who's very interested in cyberpunk as like a thematic thing um i feel like what i saw and i didn't watch the whole video i watched like 20 minutes of it or something i don't know i was sort of half paying attention um it feels like they are marketing their game to a very specific person kind of person uh it feels like there is an assumption that the player is male, which is fine. Um, even if you play as a girl, like the game is still like very much like, we're not going to show you the dude butt, but oh, you're going to have a boob in your face for this whole thing. There's like, I, just, and, and there's an element fair- of that that feels very like assumed audience. Like those are all sort of side things too. I feel like it has the visual signifiers of cyberpunk. But what I saw of the writing in that did not feel like cyberpunk. It felt like every other RPG, but now we have space guns and space glasses and space cars. It didn't feel very like, you know, like Shadowrun, the old Shadowrun game, like fighting the Megacorp and pushing the boundaries of what identity can mean. And again, it's a short demo, you know, I can't judge all the writing, but the tone of the writing in that, to me felt like it had something to be des- left something to be desired and you know again it's it's a small chunk of the game you know there's a lot left and it could there could be more and you know i'm sure the defense squad is logging on right now to come bomb my twitter uh but uh you know it just it doesn't it doesn't feel like they took anything other than the visual cool stuff from cyberpunk and they didn't take any of the like people transcending what our notions of identity can be and like how technology can change how we view ourselves as humanity and obviously there is the you know people have complained that the only markers in like gender are male and female which feels weird for cyberpunk because like we are already moving past the idea of like a binary and like it feels slow but like even now in 2018 we are moving past the idea of there being this binary um so it feels weird to me that a game that is cyberpunk which thematically deals in that kind of identity does not even attempt to broach that subject like having a for me it's like it's it's a very simple change there was that one other game i don't remember what it was some warhammer game or some mech game i don't know that was just like yeah you know you choose your character's pronoun and i'm like that's a much cooler way to handle it you know and then just give you the character builder right like 
you know, that, that was you, Battle Tech that did that, yeah. Yeah, like identify however you want, you know, whatever kind of character you want to be playing, and then, you know, in the character builder, just let you build the character you want to build. I get from a development standpoint why you would do that, because like obviously in a first person game it's gonna have a lot of dialogue, you need to refer to the player by something, and there are obviously technical factors in there. But, you know, it just it's little things here and there are making me think that I'm not going to be impressed with the writing in the game. But it's very early. Maybe that'll change. You know, so, and obviously they want to please their fans. So maybe, you know, maybe they will respond to that or maybe they'll just snap at everyone on Twitter. So so I don't want to jump down your throat because I actually agree with some of what you said. Like the the scene where she woke up and she had obviously been sleeping with a dude, that that definitely felt like male gaze. Like that that skeeved me out. Like I'm sitting there going, there's a right way and a wrong way to ha handle this. And this kind of feels like the David Cage, like I'm going to show Madison's butt, but I'm not going to show like the dude's butt. Like I totally agree with you there. Um, for me, I actually disagree with you when it comes to cd project where ed's previous work i i think their storylines and their characters are the good part i think system wise and gameplay wise their games have been borderline passable and i don't want to retread ground on that i know i have the dissenting opinion with how witcher 2 and witcher 3 play but like i like we we talked about this briefly in messages steven like i went back and i actually checked most of the side quests in The Witcher 3 give you a little bit of gold. There are the side quests that give you blueprints and some runes, but based on when you do them, a lot of times you get them and they're useless to you at this point if you didn't do them at the appropriate level. So I was playing those games for the story, not so much the gameplay hooks. Oh, the... see, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with The Witcher story. I think it's fine. I just think that we are several years out from The Witcher now and dealing with a different subject here. I think like... that's fair. I think that's very fair. And what, what I would say is we've had the two Deus Ex games that one that both tried to go for higher ideals and kind of screwed it up along the way by saying everything's gray and you and i very much agree like we, we would rather have a developer take a goddamn stand instead of saying well both sides are evil like the bioshock infinite problem well like look at like look at like again like blade runner has its own issues but like look at blade runner blade runner doesn't go well technically the people who are murdering the replicants also have a good position like yeah. that's not what makes that story interesting that story like the conflict is what creates the interest in that story. It's not like, right. well, everybody's exactly equally culpable. This is Dragon Age Inquisition. I think that if, I think there's two ways, well, I, there's not two ways, there's a million different ways they could go with us, with Cyberpunk. What I saw out of that demo was a game based around character, a, a narrative based around stories and characters, and I agree with you, not the higher ideals of identity, of technology, its influence on society. Now, that's not saying that they don't get there. I think you could tell a very meaningful story if you did a character-focused uh, narrative in a cyberpunk future. Maybe that's not what you're looking for, and I I can but understand the, that. The problem is with the problem I have with that is that you are saying that a character based story would not deal with a character's sense of identity, or that like identity can't like identity is not a binary where you are either about character and narrative or you are about identity and themes. Like themes are not like. You know, it's like Luke Cage season two. The characters state the themes of the show at you over and over again. And it's, you know, unpopular opinion. Luke Cage season two is terrible because, you know, it's dealing with complicated themes. But literally the characters are going, I am dealing with masculinity right now is an issue. Um, almost in as many words. Um, 
And like, uh, I think that's cool. But like, the point being is that a character-based story does not necessarily mean that I like it is not also like something that's dealing with thematics. Like, they're, they're not they're not two mutually exclusive things. I, I see what you're saying now. So kind of like how Mass Effect has your your individual character moments, but it is a story about races and interacting with each other. And that plays directly into those character interactions. So I think what you want right. to see is you okay, no, no, no. This is why we have these discussions, because now I'm now I'm seeing the argument that you're getting at. So like you want there to be like because we're talking about like technology augmenting the character, you want the character to acknowledge the fact that something's changing. And and they have talked a little bit about how there's some kind of humanity stat in the game, which makes me think back to like, you know, vampire, the masquerade bloodlines. But I, I think I see what you're saying now, which is like, you want to see those themes of cyberpunk of technology and its influence on society and the individual. You want it to be more than just like a grand theft auto game with, you know, powers right what like I think you're saying in, in in a way yeah like basically what i mean is that give me a reason that this game is cyberpunk other than yeah we did the medieval thing now we're doing the cool futuristic thing like but do you think witcher had a lot of themes of medieval society in it or anything like that and i'm, I mean, I'm not witcher, saying that to be an asshole i'm saying like i'm i'm discussing it with you i mean witcher has you know plenty of like narrative flaws that you could point out but like witcher is dealing with themes like i mean the entire core premise of the Witcher universe in the books as well. And yes, before you send me hate mail, I've read all the books <laughs> is like, there is like this element of racism and like racial tension. Okay. And like, okay. You know, like look at the way people treat witchers. Like witchers are like viewed through this, like very like lens of they are mutants and like people see them and like, they have like visceral reactions. Like, even though I don't think CDPR necessarily is always intentionally looking at those things or, at all looking at those things like there is absolutely there are overarching thematics behind all of the quests in the witcher like you know there be you know maybe some of them are just like you know we picked a fantasy trope that sounded cool but like you know there's like the red the red not the red baron whatever the hell his name was that whole quest is dealing with a lot of complicated things yeah Yeah. like that quest Mm -hmm. is dealing with complicated things and like Geralt's identity is like the main thing in the first two games like Geralt doesn't remember who he is and like you know, you have this character who doesn't remember his background or who he is, but he's being treated by people in a certain way. And that that is, you can argue it all you want. You are making a statement with that about how people are treated, even if you don't want to see yourself as a mutant, as Geralt, because you are the hero. You're like, oh, I'm cool. People are like, oh, there's that white hair. That dude is doped up on all kinds of weird drugs and, like, is a mutant. Like, so it doesn't matter that Geralt doesn't remember. And again, this is a very hyper-specific example to describe something very broad. But, like, any decent story has themes. It's not like necessarily someone sets out to say, these are the themes of my story, but like those themes come up through the writing and the concerns of the writers. And they're, I actually think they're pretty different in each Witcher game. And I think a lot of those things do take advantage of the setting. Um, I would argue good writing always takes advantage of its setting. Like there has to be a reason your story takes place sometime other than, yeah, dude, guns are cool. Like, I don't know, like future guns, like laser beam guns, you know, um, you well, know. I guess I, I guess what I would so, leave it as is like let's see where they go. Like, and I I can definitely, based on the conversation we just had, I can agree with you that like I didn't see that stuff in that demo. But I I think that also doesn't necessarily mean it's not there. Yeah, I think yeah, I think Stephen's points are very salient, and that's um, 
but but I also agree with that, which you just said, Rob, like, let's see where it goes. And I'm not it's it's just like given their track record, it's um, sure yeah. it's it's kind of muddy, you know, like my expectations aren't super high for that kind of nuance in the storytelling. So uh, me like putting up resistance to the topic at the very beginning wasn't trying to stop you guys from having a discussion and bringing up those points like they're they're worth acknowledging. And I think Stephen's right. I just. Personally, I'm like tired of hearing people raging about it because a lot of the discussion has been very one dimensional, but I know that that's not what I can expect from a discussion here. So, yeah, um, yeah, I think the issue is that on the Internet and especially on Twitter, the discussion becomes. I want this game to have options for transgender characters or characters who are non-binary and it is the fanboy people and many fans are not like this. Uh, it is the family people going, F you, no, you're wrong. Everything they've ever made is gold and you dare accuse them of anything. Like that is just meaningless and pointless and just miss me with all that. Oh, like, I, I don't recently care. had, I had somebody comment on my review of Dragon Quest um, 11, which I gave a nine out of 10, I believe. Um, which which I, such a low score. Which, yeah, you hated it. Which I repeatedly praised as being like landmark and amazing and, and so many different ways, but you know, took two paragraphs of my like, nine paragraph review to discuss how crappy dragon quest is about handling women in general and like their weird gender issues which stem from like some very traditionally held um japanese cultural values and i just think it's like you know i i pointed that out and i was like hey like these things were kind of weird off-putting and almost out of place given how good this game is in every other way and somebody's like you must have really been reaching hard to find that because this game sounds like a masterpiece. And I'm like, yeah, oh, like, no, hi. No. Have you played 70 hours of it? No, you sure haven't. Like, I, it's one of those, like, occasions where I don't want to be smug and be like, well, you know, as a privileged reviewer. But it's like, dude, I, like, I've played the game. You have not. And also, like, different people have different objective standards for... Like, you know, all reviews are subjective, rather. Sorry, not objective. All reviews are subjective, and, like, it's an issue that bothered me enough that I wanted to bring it up because the game could have done better in that respect, and if it had, then the overall experience would have been even better. It would have gone from excellent to excellenter. So, yeah. like, I just feel like it's stupid to not... Like, why... Uh, why not address things that we think could be better? It's it's just, like, that's how progress uh, abs- is made. Abs- and, Derek, I think that's something on this show that we always strive for, which was looking at games and wanting them to be better and like you know i brought up one scene in the the cyberpunk thing that made me a little uncomfortable and i'm like if by contrast the dude is showing his ass cheeks everywhere and i and we get we get a little shot of him that sexualizes that player character cool awesome but that's not what you showed and i think that's what like what steven's pointing out is like you showed the low-hanging fruit of the promiscuous female character and like, okay, guys, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm ready to damn you right now, but you're making me roll my eyes a little bit. Like we're, we're chasing, like, like we're chasing around Madison in a dream in her underwear right now. Like that's, that's actually what you guys are doing, right? I now. mean, and to be clear, my main argument for all of these things, Dragon Quest included, is that stop assuming that your player is male. Like, sure, absolutely. Like, you know, cisgender male, like. That is the assumption. Like, for example, I've, I've been reading this history book on PlayStation, actually, the PlayStation Anthology, which by and large is pretty solid. Um, and, like, there's a lot of talk about the advertising for early PlayStation. And, like, there was some, some exec from PlayStation was like, our thing with PlayStation is we wanted to acknowledge that there's more to life than games. We wanted, you know, there's film, cinema, girls. And it's like right there, there is that assumption right there. 
that exec had. And women, I mean, again, I, I feel weird saying this with Caitlin here. Like, I shouldn't be explaining this, so I'm not going to. But, like, there's that assumption of, like, all players are dudes. Yeah, mostly men play games. That is false. Like, it's just false. I'm not going to yep. belabor the point again because it's weird for me to be saying that. But, like, stop assuming that the default player is a heterosexual cisgender man. Like, just don't. Like, and that doesn't no mean you don't have to. Right, and that doesn't mean that that's not appropriate in, like, some context for some games or, or, or many games. It's, I mean, it is predominantly the thing. Very, very, very predominantly that is the assumed audience. And that doesn't mean that that's not okay. It's just that gaming is a more universal experience than a lot of, like, writers and, and developers want to acknowledge, I think. And that's stifling the creativity of the medium, I think, because it's not allowing us to explore all of these different, like, ideas and stories. And it's also weakening the impact of stories for everybody who identifies outside of that, you know, like ostensibly non-majority uh, subset. Like there's just so many people who play games and it just seems silly to keep like pushing yeah. them, you know? I don't know. No, and, I, and I appreciated the conversation because like I had not thought about the identification of cyberpunk identity and what we're having right now with the expansion of the idea of gender in society. And so like, I had not seen that parallel. And by having that discussion with Steven, it's like, Oh yeah, you could actually do some really cool shit with that. Like, and now to be clear, if, I would I would encourage you very strongly to go talk to people who aren't me, who are much better able to explain it. Sure, sure, sure. No, no, no. And that's and, like I exactly, am, exactly. I am not the arbiter of that. And oh, oh you're not my, the expert. <laughs> most of my arguments on that are distillations from people who have stated it better and are in a better position to be stating that. I am absolutely like it, so. Just, you know, yeah. I, I think go seek out I, better people to talk to than me. I think I think what you're saying, Stephen, is you want cyberpunk to be more than just a character. You, you want it to be more than just guns in an RPG. You more want it to actually, skin. yeah, say something right. with the with the, with the theme, with the tone, with the setting. Say something with it the way that like a Mass Effect talks about, you know, racism using you know space. Like you can do stuff well, like it's, that. It's the reason why we didn't just get a sci-fi Dark Souls because Dark Souls is built around a set of assumptions. And I, think that was called, I think that was called The Surge. Yeah, and you hated that game. I know, um, I'm just saying. But the, point, but like... the point being is that, like, we all say, oh, it'd be so cool to get sci-fi Dark Souls, but, like, you need to really sit and think through what, what that means. Like, why do you have that setting? Like, did you just pick it because yeah. it looked cool? Because, like, I feel like you need to have a good reason. Like, like, what's your gameplay reason for picking this? What's your narrative reason for picking this? You know, like, obviously not every game is dealing with complex narrative themes, but, like, I am... I, I don't care about the visual element of a game. Like, you know, give me a reason why you picked this visual element. Well, I still want my yeah. Souls game mixed with Armored Core, and it's, like, Blaster Master, and you are investigating a hostile world and going in and, like, driving around in a giant mech, and then you get out of the mech, and you go into, like, an office building, and it's Dark Souls. How about that? Sure. That's Come on. <laughs> okay, barring that, how about ninjas and grappling hooks? Does that sound good? I mean, how about ninjas and about sandwiches for lunch? Ooh, sandwiches. Okay, sorry, Derek. I did. I just. I, I just wanted to. I wanted to have that conversation with Steven because it was one of those like I don't think I'm understanding where you're coming from, and this doesn't work through text. Look at that. <laughs> so, we bridged the gap here on random. No, I, there's no problem having these conversations. I try to tell my students that it's okay to ask questions and not be a dick about it and learn something. Yeah, like that's well, okay. I, I think the right? important thing is just be intellectually honest about it. Don't go and ask somebody why do you have a problem with this when your question is actually. 
why are you so terrible and I disagree with you? Right. Don't be, don't like, be a sea lion, basically. <laughs> don't be a sea lion? Uh, I'm going to need I don't get the reference for that. It's, I don't get it. It's a new troll tactic. Is it like well, a milkshake duck analog? In this game, day and age of Gamergate, it's a neutral tactic that is that I have I have recently been exposed to, and it is not awesome. Yeah, but I but I don't understand it. What does sea lion mean in this context? Um, I actually literally don't understand. I haven't I guess looked it up. I don't know how the term came to be to 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 refer to uh, an individual like this. They basically insert themselves into a conversation and get defensive about a point that you're making. And then when you try to debate with them, they uh, ask for receipts. Yeah. Yeah. With, with in like an intellectually dishonest way of like, you know, I'm only asking you questions. And I mean, if you can even read it, it comes out of like a right wing tactics book of like, you know, just keep asking questions and don't ever accept the answers. And Oh, excuse me. (coughs) Always deflect. Um, According to Wikipedia, it came from some webcomic, but lovely. Interesting. Oh, it came from comic? Yeah. I think I know the comic you're talking about, which is awesome and explains what it is, but I didn't realize that was okay. Is it like a Katie thing or something? It looks like a webcomic called Wondermark. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Never heard of it. I I, I can send it to you. We'll endeavor endeavor not to be sea lions in this show to the best of our collective ability, unless in the cyberpunk future we can mod ourselves to be sea lions. Nice. Starring Kevin Smith's Tusk. Sure. Uh, Starring, uh, oh my God, Waterworld. Who is in that? (laughs) Uh, Kevin Costner. Kevin Kevin Costner. Okay. Kevin. The other Kevin. The other other Kevin. Kevin, Kevin. Kevin, Kevin. Kevin, Kevin. Kevin, Kevin, Kevin. Okay. Well, uh, truly, I am going to wrap this episode up so I can go eat some lunch and uh, y'all can finish okay. breakfast, etc. I'm hungry. I know. I'm very hungry. Uh, Rob and Steven, thank you both so much for making time to return to the show for a little mini reunion. Oh, thank you for having yeah, us. Yeah, thank you. Very nice to have you. Uh, I think I'd like to have you both on again at some point. Maybe we can do like a milestone episode 175 or something like that. That should take about two years. I think I'm free then. <laughs> hey, we're doing bi-weekly now that you're gone, dude. Isn't so. it hard? It, hey, it is hard to keep that schedule, though, isn't it? It is. As you get more busy. Like another podcast on the side, and we also, you know, there's like work and stuff. So, What I other know, podcast, right? Derek? What, what work? Yeah, what's that other podcast? The Astral I actually, Era. I actually the Final know. Fantasy XIV podcast. Yeah, let me, let me plug it. Clearly and loudly. Astral Era of Final Fantasy 14. 14? Final <laughs> Fantasy 14. It's your port of call for uh, Limps and Limps. News. <laughs> it's a Final Fantasy 14 podcast. You can check it out at astralerapodcast.com. And it is hosted by me, my boyfriend Jeremy, and our friend Wolf. And the three of us are uh, a lot more crass on that show than we are in Random Encounter. And we talk Final Fantasy updates and what we're doing in the game, etc., etc. Um, and I also wanted to extend a thank you to Caitlin for being here today. I know that a lot of the discussion uh, was focused on the returning crew members, but your opinion and presence is always valued and welcome. So thank you. Hopefully my one-liners were ha- were funny. I don't know. Uh, we'll funnier step- than mine. No, they were great. They were good. Most things well, are funnier than Steven's one-liners. It's true. Aren't Love you glad Steven. they're here, everybody? <laughs> so thank you for listening today. If you have questions, comments, or spare potions, you can email us at podcast at rpgfan.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at rpgfancom and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash rpgfancom. Please subscribe to us on iTunes or through the RSS feed. I'm still waiting for your reviews 
And it uh, would make me very happy if you would leave some. So for Rob, for Steven, for Caitlin, and myself, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you all later. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Bye. Bye.